Boo. You think I'm a good girl? Just wait and see. We're bad girls. This is what we do. I'm the girl that's gonna save your life. Eh, you shot pretty well. For a boy. Can't you handle a woman with a big gun? I put the fun in funeral. I like my men covered in blood. Hail to the queen, baby. I can, and I will. I can, and I will. I'll take a bite out of you. Beware the sirens. Welcome back to another spine-chilling episode of Sirens of Horror. I am, as always, your mistress of evil, Ella Evella, along with... Her sister, Sin Ashvicious. And uh, we've decided to uh, have a few male companions <laughs> for this episode. Um, you've, you've heard about him. You haven't heard me run to the room to ask him a million and one questions, but it is my amazing husband, Josh. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's a, I love to have you, and I'll have you often. <laughs> you might also recognize his voice from our intro. Correct? Oh, yes, that's me. I uh, do the thing. I also wrote that music, by the way. I don't know if that's ever been said, but... I believe it has, like, on our first episode, and that was about it. Well, there you go. That but, that beautiful melody that's making love to your ear holes was written by me. So, yeah, I'm going to take credit for it, because it's one of my favorite songs I've ever written. And I now know you have listened to our podcast, because you just said ear holes. And we say that a lot. <laughs> and then, of course, we have my amazing, nothing stranger of a man, my fiancé, Christopher. Hi, everybody. Uh, it's an honor to be on the show. A big fan, obviously, uh, of Ashley in particular, and the show in general. So <laughs> I would really hope you're a fan of Ash, because, uh, what, we're, we're 18 days to winning? Yep. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can all blame Chris for not everything. hearing from just us everything. for a month. Just, just blame Chris. <laughs> all my fault. Blame Chris. <laughs> I'm, I'm so... I did Canada, that was me. Sorry. <laughs> you created Canada? God I thought damn it. Would be it. Fun. <laughs> who doesn't like great. syrup and hockey? I love poutine. Or who doesn't? <laughs> Cheese curds and gravy mm. on fries? It's genius. It is You're glorious. welcome. Uh, now that we're off the, the subject of Canada. <laughs> are we, though? Are we ever? No, we, we really never are. Uh, let's move on to a, a, a little bit more dreary topic. Uh, we just went and saw It Chapter 2. I'm sorry, did you say dreary? It's pronounced dairy. Oh, I knew I was messing yeah. up something. Oh, okay. I'm happy someone caught my joke. Um, we literally just went. We went and saw a matinee showing, had some beers, had some pizza, and now we are sitting down to record the episode. So this is this is fresh. Dairy. Open wound, you might say. Yeah, uh, so we just came back from Derry. <laughs> um, it was a freaking great ride. Um, uh, the film's been out for two days now, and I, I kept seeing, like, endings, explains, Easter eggs, and... Oh, did you follow Did you follow Pennywise's Easter eggs, Pe- Ella? I, I did not follow the Easter eggs. I'm Good. sure you have. Oh, I found all of the Easter eggs. <laughs> Are these the Easter eggs in Chapter 1? Because there's specifically Easter eggs, literally, in a scene. Yes, yes, there are. They explode and catch on fire. Yes. Um, Just like everyone's Easter. <laughs> okay, apparently Irish Easter's are a little different. Oh, yeah, they're wacky. Whiskey and <laughs> car bombs, and I don't mean to talk to Oh, God. <laughs> so, we just got out of it. It was 
shockingly good. Yeah. But that's honestly the way I can describe it, because I kept seeing things where people were like, oh, it was okay, it was this, and like, I, I had my issues, and we'll get to them in the podcast. But overall, like, what are your guys' just, without getting into specifics, like, Chris, what did you overall think of the film? Uh, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, it definitely put a bow on the overall story of, of it. Um... I was pleased to see a number of flashback sequences. We got to see the child actors again because I loved them in the first chapter and I was worried I would miss them in this one, so it was great to see them again. Um, and all in all, it was a really, really good time with some um, some performances from actors who I knew from other things but was genuinely impressed with how good they were in this one. I, I would agree. There are definitely some, uh, especially Bill Haters. Yes, definitely. Bill Hader, yeah. He really knocked it out of the park. He's an Oklahoma treasure, by the way. Oh, <laughs> goddamn it, Rebecca. Just like you. Just like <laughs> me. Oklahoma treasure. So speak- Go Thunder. <laughs> I was going to say, speaking about our Oklahoma treasure of Bill Hader, I have a, our very first random fact of randomness. Ooh, is this, are we going to turn this into a drinking game this episode? <laughs> Every time Ash is random fact uh, of randomness, have yeah, a drink. I got my beer right here. I just let her, let her up. We are actually all drinking the Stone Cold Steve Austin beer. Swig a beer for the working man. <laughs> um, so Bill Hader was approached for the role of Ricky to- of Richie Tozer, based on film on Finn Wolfhard's wish to cast him in the sequel. Oh, Hader, who had never met Wolfhard, was extremely flattered that Wolfhard wanted him to take on the role. That's that's really cool. I also think that's such a compliment to co- like come from another actor, even one as young as somebody. To be like, I think you would be my adult, like, well, version. Well, game recognizes game. <laughs> yeah. Finn Wolfhard's an amazing, uh, not just an amazing child actor, but an amazing actor. I mean, mm-hmm. his work in Stranger Things, his work in both of the It films is is top, top, top notch. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would be flattered if Finn Wolfhard su- suggested I should play his grown-up part. Like, yeah, I've, obviously, that's that's an incredible compliment. Uh, so, since you're on a roll, Mr. Henry. That's me. Um, what was your impression of the film? Overall, I liked it. Because um, I know, like, out of all of us here, I'm normally... The biggest king, I'm the biggest king freak when it comes... I've, I've probably read more Stephen King than anybody in this room. And, like, normally I'm I'm the king freak. I'm the one mm-hmm. that knows everything about the books. But, like, I will definitely tap, like, tip my hat to my husband much as I love King, like, you have way more knowledge of it. Like, I am currently on a, like, reading list until I can get to the Dark Tower. Mm-hmm. And when you read the Dark Tower, then you will truly be my wife. Then, then mm. Until then, it's... Uh, this is... This is like a... Trial period? It's a trial period. Oh, until, okay. Until you finish. <laughs> okay, so you hear that, listeners? Her heart's still up for grabs until she reads the Dark Tower, so... Yeah. <laughs> but, in all seriousness, um, as much... I love Stephen King, and it is... It was actually the first Stephen King book I ever read because, I don't know, I don't believe in dip, tip, dipping my foot in, I guess. I just jumped headfirst into the 1,094-page monstrosity. But So it has a very special place in my heart. I think my first one was either Cujo or Carrie. I'm that's, not and sure that which. Should, that probably should be. That's probably smarter. Yeah, except for the fact that like, I read it right before I got my period and my neighbor had a St. Bernard. So, like, I was so fucked either way with, like, my first two books. I was just like, well, welcome to terror. Oh, that's the thing is Stephen King will make anything scary. He's he's real good at that. Topiary animals. I we said all... it. I invoked it. 
Yeah, we've had so many. Uh, we all th- know of Ella's fear of toad-free animals. It's and that's partly fear. my fault because I read The Shining to her. He did. Uh, so. When we were, we were first dating, I got sick and he read to me The Shining. So he's one of the fears. Also, have you guys ever seen, uh, it's, it's gone around on Facebook where it's like, I have a new book. Okay, King, tell me it's not about anything weird. It's like, no, it's about a blender. Okay, a possessed blender. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that, that, that follows. I would Oops. not be surprised if Stephen King wrote a book about a possessed fucking blender. And you know what? It would be terrifying. The characters would be well-rounded. <laughs> but I, I said it about the first It, uh, It Chapter 1, where it's not... They change so much from the book. Like, it is not the same. It's... It's not even close, but like, but I felt like the spirit of the book was there. We we had um, this like conversation with Lily walking out of the theater. I said, "Well, that was new, but more than for me, the miniseries. Um, I feel like the miniseries it, it had a feeling of heart. the The feeling I got after this movie, like leaving it, like." I want to give you a big old hug, Ash, <laughs> and be like, cut, kind of brought some tears of like that that friendship that you have. Yeah. And we've had this conversation. We've been friends for sixteen some odd years, <laughs> and stuff like that. But it made me like, like I want to call up like Taylor and Hannah and like my old... our our little losers club. <laughs> yeah, you you want to call your best friends after this film, and I feel like that's what it's about. Like, there's the stand, which is, like, friendship and life, and there's it, which is, like, friendship. Also, like, psycho evil clown giant turtle. But it's same feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ash, what was your feelings? Um, I actually really liked it. I was anticipating, just, I was, I don't know, like, I was anticipating kind of not liking it. Um, just because it's like, oh, I'm gonna try and compare it to the first one. But it also being, like... Not necessarily a sequel, but, like, a continuation of the story. So I was kind of... I didn't find myself doing that as much. Okay. You didn't find yourself, like, comparing, like, well, this thing I liked about Chapter 1 isn't in Chapter 2. Right. Because it was more of a continuation of the story. Okay. Um, What I did kind of find myself doing, though, was comparing it to, like, the miniseries in in a couple different ways. Because the miniseries literally just does everything all, all in one. Boom. It's, you know... It's, it's there, it's done. Yeah. Um, so I did find myself kind of doing that every once in a while, but, and I definitely think I liked Chapter 1 and Chapter 2 a hell of a lot better than the miniseries. So that's a, a good topic to kind of branch out to start this off, is um, before we get into books, which I'm sure Mr. Henry is going to have a, a lot to say. He's holding the book. <laughs> He is currently right now holding the book. He's branching it it like a weapon. (laughs) Like a Bible. This is my husband's Bible. Which I guess is a weapon in its own. Mm -hmm. Right, but that's another topic for another day. Ooh. It's, it's, he's. Hear that? That's a thousand and ninety-four pages of glory. (laughs) What is, what is that thing where like people scratch things and they make sounds? what is it called? ASMR? AS, yeah, I think it's ASMR. Yeah, if you're asking for videos, then... Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Josh just gave you a little bit of uh, book ASMR. Um, <laughs> oh, my ear holes. Oh, all of the ear holes. <laughs> uh, so, I watched the It miniseries when I was 
Oh, so we, Bobby. Mm-hmm. Back in the day. Uh, I really liked it, but I'll admit, like, the, the pull between adult and child felt very strong. Mm-hmm. Where with this one, I didn't feel like you really... It might be... Um, it might be because they were doing backflashes while they were adults. But you didn't kind of get that differentiating thing. Even though there were certain things that I feel like this film didn't do as well with, like, the group dynamic. I Maybe it's because they went back and forth. You did feel they were very cohesive. Mm-hmm. It was like, we are the losers, even as adults. Well, to, to your point, um, Ella... Um, the film makes a point, uh, as does the book, that as adults, they actually don't remember being losers for quite a while. So you actually, as a viewer, get to go on the same journey as the cast and characters remembering being friends and being losers and what it means to be a quote-unquote loser. So, um, so yeah, um, you, you don't come into the film... Like, if you were to watch these back-to-back versus watching them completely separate as somebody who's only seen them in the theater, um, you're not losing anything by coming into the second film and, and thinking, oh, uh, you know, I forget where we left off because so do the characters. Yeah, but I also feel like uh, because you get to see them come back, mm-hmm. you get that uh, more tightly knit feeling that I feel like the miniseries gave us. Sure. Well, the, with the miniseries, much like the book, it you know the um, adult lives uh, and the child lives are interspersed. You know, they cut back and forth constantly. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, you're coming in, and it that feeling of not remembering is actually probably more poignant in this version because of the gap between films and the more um, sparse use of flashback to really pound home like they have forgotten here's why they've forgotten so when they start to remember that whole sequence um is really great because you can see them slowly building off of a half i have half a memory and you have half a memory and you have half a memory and they're building off of one another to kind of rebuild their childhood and as a fan watching it you can go oh i i remember that scene and that scene and without having to show it you're um or rather, without having to spell it out, we're kind of seeing them do that. It's a, it's a really fun sequence. Uh, and I, I also think the fact that they put in scenes um, that happen mostly between, uh, in It Chapter 1, between the big fight when they first go into the house and fight Pennywise, mm-hmm. to them going into... Uh, Actually going into the sewers. Going into the well. Yeah. Through the house. Um, you do know that they like in the movie they show they have a big fight and all this stuff. And it, it, yeah, some some time elapses. Yeah, but you don't really see that in chapter one, which I feel like was really smart because it allowed the flashbacks to flow cohesively and make sense while filling in holes in chapter one. While it is how you said it's filling in the holes of their lives, right? So for at the same time, while they're learning about this, we're also learning about this for the first time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, what's also also, really quick side note before I say what I want to say. Um, the actors, the adult actors look so goddamn much like the kid actors. Yeah. It's astounding. The one that really the creeped bin. me out was Henry Bowers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, his adult actor in that, like, shot was, like, because 
I don't think you he's... mean when he's like elated when he sees the balloon. Yeah, yeah. but I don't think you'd actually in any of the trailers you'd seen a mm. shot of adult Henry you Bowers. Didn't. You didn't. You'd mm-hmm. even see Henry Bowers at all. So when you saw him as an adult, I'm like, that is legitimately like. To a degree, creepy. How, like... Well, to Josh's point, there's even a sequence where Eddie, as an adult, walks into the pharmacy to get his prescription. Oh, my God. It's and like, they do it's... a fade as mm-hmm. young Eddie comes in as a flashback to stand in the exact same spot, and they just blend the two shots. Their eyes, their astounding. nose. It's yeah. indistinguishable between the two actors. So. And the crazy thing is, like, these, from the kids to the adults, like, uh, the, the kid character of Ben, not so much no. But these are, most of the actors are decently well-known actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and just how it kind of lined up was I mean, impressive. casting director, I don't know who did it, but they deserve all, You get a cannoli. You get a cannoli. You get all of the, you get all the cannolis. They should get free cannolis for life. For <laughs> um, the Ben one is startling, too, because, like, obviously, because Ben is, like, you know, slimmed and but his, his but, facial expression. But yeah, like mm-hmm. the, the eyes, the shape of the head, like it's... Well, even the performance, the speech patterns, you yeah. believe it's the same character mm-hmm. even though there's no it's, clear... Which I think is something for the adult actors, like, they studied those yeah. kids. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Well, and strengths of the directing, too. Clearly, he was trying to pull the same performance out of both actors, the child and the yeah. adult, mm-hmm. so... Well, I, I could write a million love letters to Andy Machete. Like, I love his movies. Um, it, Mama... So if you're listening, please send your address, and Josh will start sending you one million love letters. And cannolis. And can, wait, whoa, this is getting expensive. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll just stick with I'll just I'll send emails. It's free. Okay. I'll, I'll send you sweets. It's fine. Sweets to the sweet. Emily will make le- uh, things. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, I I'm gonna piggyback on that whole. The adult actors being the same, all, like, literally almost identical to the kid actors. Like, Jessica Chastain looked exactly like... Mini know, Bev. Mini Bev. Um, and, you, you know, even the... a list of their names, so we don't... <laughs> That's normally Ash, because I am the worst person. Like, give me horror trivia, and I can wreck anyone. The moment you put a name in horror <laughs> trivia, I'm like, well, I've... Well, I'm... Sorry, you can hear me whipping my phone out. And the the jingle of keys. Uh, um, I'm looking up the actress's name. Okay, well, we'll help oh, Josh of, for namesakes of the of Little Beth. Um, but yeah, like you know, Jessica Chastain looks exactly like Little Bev, um, and even like I said earlier, you know, Bill Hader was a pick from Wolfhard. He was like, I would be honored if you played adult me. They look like he he looks like he could play adult. Finn Wolfhard. Um, I do feel like James McAvoy is just meant to play, though, sweet, open-hearted losers mm-hmm. with big, big blue eyes. Yeah. Her name is Sophia Lillis. Oh, good on you, Sophia Lillis. I, and she was recently in the Nancy Drew movie, and she's now going to be in the Hansel and Gretel film. Huh. Oh, yeah, she was in that Yeah, she's in the Hansel and Gretel film. Because <laughs> I'm obsessed with fucked up fairy tales, so it's like, uh, you're <laughs> making an evil Hansel and Gretel film, tell me more. The, the amount of, of skills of child actors right now is yeah. is kind of like, I am an adult woman and you can act better than I ever will. So long as they don't go down the path of 80s child actors, I think they'll turn up A-OK. I think yeah. we've, we've seen enough behind the... the <laughs> behind the blow. 
behind the blow <laughs> that uh, I think we're people are now aware of. Like, maybe just don't let my child, who's an actor, run off with these big A-list stars. Yeah. It's probably a good idea, just in general. Yeah. Because on the whole, actors are kind of crappy people. And I, speak, I, I say that as a, someone who has a degree in acting. <laughs> don't send your 14-year-old to a 21 and up party, probably, yeah, without, do without do parental supervision. Yeah, don't do or just don't, in general. Yeah. Uh, you were making a point before you brought up the child actors. Yes, so the point I wanted to make was the whole timeline thing. Because uh, I keep getting off topic, but first of all, the, the meta joke in this movie about how yes. Bill's character can't write a good ending <laughs> is probably the greatest... Yeah joke in any horror movie ever because i love stephen king he's my favorite author but yes the man has such a hard time ending things but i will i think it is the exception because like i think the ending of it the book is probably one of the greatest things that he's ever done next to the dark tower series again you know my love of the dark tower series so we don't need to get into that right now but um i think i've mentioned my reading list like four times in the podcast so yeah but like the the pacing of the book is so interesting because it goes in chunks where like it's Georgie gets Georgie gets his arm ripped off that's our introduction to the book just like it was in it chapter one Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's the best place for the story to start because it encapsulates everything so well yeah then you get the Adrian Mellon thing which uh was actually in this movie which I was kind of surprised they put in but also kind of glad they did then we, you, will, we will come back to Yeah, we'll that. come back to that, I'm sure. But then you actually meet all the characters as grown-ups for the first time, which seems kind of crazy. Um, also, I feel like it leads the readers knowing, like, they don't die when they're kids. Just to let you know. FYI. But then it goes in chunks. Then it goes June of 1958. Grown-ups. When in, it's, yeah. And then it's July of 1958. And then it's the ending. Where the fight between the kids and Pennywise, or it, and the grown-ups and it happens simultaneously at the same time. So you experience both of the confrontations at the same time. And it's masterful how it's done. Well, they also do the, the splices of like the history of Derry throughout right, the book. the interludes in between mm-hmm. each of those. Each of those parts I mentioned has an interlude in between. Yeah. Um, so two points I want to bring up for that is... Um, one is with Adrian. Yes. Um, so I guess uh, we're just going to bring up the... We're, we're going to have our little game in it. Um, oh, that was the name. That, sorry, that was yeah. the name of the gay couple. I was like, who is Adrian? <laughs> who are you talking about, Ella? Um, so in the book, it's set at that point in the 1970s. 80s. 80s. Where at this point, it would have been set in the 2000s. Yeah, so yeah, it's 2016. Yeah, 2016. Yeah. Um, and I think showing, um, even in 2016, like, gay crimes and the death of somebody, it, it's almost more important that in it's 2016. Still, it's still happening. Yeah. Yeah, it's the idea, like, to show it in the 1970s, in 2000, was, like, right. you know what I mean? Um, but to show it, we're watching the film in 2019, to show... A man being killed in a homophobic attack in the 80s, okay. But to show a man being killed in 2016 in a homophobic attack, it, it's kind of like a clap to being like, 
this still exists. Like, you know, just this month, two transsexual women have been killed. Right. Just for being transsexual women. Um, like, when we saw this, we were talking about a little bit afterwards, both Ash and I have experienced men saying negative things, expecting the fact that we're cheap, we're this, we're that, for being bisexual. I was told to stay out of school for two days, being bisexual, in Los Angeles, in 2004. And I was still told, you should stay home. Somebody broke a window in my house with a rock. Um, but to show that in 2016 in small town Maine which is a blue state yeah which is still a blue state um, <clears throat> death can happen for that and I feel like that's really important um, yeah and like I remember when when the trailer for this movie came out that was that bit was in the trailer with the with the gay couple mm-hmm and I remember seeing on the internet there was a lot of like, oh my god, I can't believe they showed that. I can't believe they're going to show a gay couple being brutally attacked and blah, 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 blah. Like, like it was just a huge thing. But I think uh, we, we saw something, uh, like Josh mentioned it last night, that somebody went and saw it and they were like, there's a gay man being attacked and killed at the beginning of this film. And I don't know how I feel about it. And I was like... Okay, um, first of all, if you look at the original remake, which is something I'm very happy they did not do with this one because it would have just, it's hard, is when Bowers is calling Mike the Edward. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot. A lot, <laughs> and I still, like, even when we rewatch it for that, like, that's still hard for me to watch. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's especially good that in 2019, when you're making a movie... To not have a child, a white, a young white child actor hurling out the N-word. That's good. We don't yeah. need that. We get the fact that Henry Bowers is racist. But we, we don't need But that. we do need to see the fact that homophobia is still a violent epidemic. Mm-hmm. Well, of course. And in, in this case, instead of using the N-word, they were using homophobic slurs. Yeah, left, call- right, hand, and yeah. center in this movie. Oh, yeah. for, for the exact same purpose. To show the, the bigotry and the hate in some of these people, which I think... I think um, across both chapter one and chapter two is to show the endemic um, vile nature of dairy uh, that is per- you know, Pennywise permeating to the people that those who are affected by him, uh, there's just, and, and this is me not trying to suggest that it's an excuse for these people like they would have been innocent otherwise, that if they didn't live in dairy, they wouldn't have been this way. But it's just, it's showing that generation upon generation is just vile and angry and violent and hateful whether it's racism or homophobia or or what have you Mm -hmm. um but yeah definite trigger warning for this particular film chapter two um homophobic slurs are all over the place in this for story purposes but it's still there um and i I feel like that's very important like it's not an excuse not at all um like Henry Bowers was still an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm glad they didn't have the N word in the movie. Like, I'm, I'm just, I, I. It's, well, I, I we feel like it would have been. We don't need to. We don't need it. We're aware, <clears throat> but like, we're aware he's a racist without saying the N word. But like in the in the first movie, I mean, he almost runs Mike over and says, "Get the fuck out of my town." You know, mm-hmm. yeah. like, okay. 
I, I get it. <laughs> like, very clearly racist. Very clearly taught racism, too, like, because you see his relationship with his father. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it's the same thing. Like, I thought it was actually just even more disturbing in this movie, in the scene where the, the gay couple is attacked, that the one who instigates it's a kid. Oh yeah. yeah, he's like he's like fifteen. And yeah, I would he say he like, looked younger. He looked like middle school. Yeah, and it's like that's the most terrifying thing of all is that this kid is the one who instigates it, and his and his brother. Buddies. I'm assuming Buddy's brother. I'm assuming older brother, like the yeah. guy with the Matt Damon. Well, I feel, I feel like they were trying to make the similarity between um, the guy that Richie plays the video game with yes. and Henry Bowers. They were trying to do that, which. We can get into the Richie thing. We'll get later. to it in just a second. But, actually. right, but it, I, that to the scene you're speaking of, it didn't. It to me, it didn't feel like he's expressing a learned behavior where he's trying to earn the favor of like an older brother or an older cousin or something. Right. He was the instigator. He yeah, was. He, he did. Yeah, he, he might he not have been the oldest. He might not have been the leader, but he kicked off a series of events that cost a young man his life. Yeah. 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 And he, he and slashed he's, the and popcorn he's out of his 14, hand. Yeah. probably. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think that's really hard. Uh, the, the big difference, and once again, I'm, I'm going to say this for this part because this is like, if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, oh, I really don't care about really big spoilers. They're not going to discuss anything. This is a massive spoiler. If you have not seen it, please stop. Please stop. Please stop. Go see and the come movie. back. And come go back. Go see the movie. And then and come and back. Go um, don't go away. Just come back. Um, Just hit pause. They decided to make Richie gay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Closet. And, and, and I, I found it really, really well done. Same. Um, when, when they started kind of doing the Hanks, they do the hint about him playing a video game with a boy and they do like a hand pound and then you get that like fingertip. Yeah. yeah. The finger touch. And where like, obviously both men felt something, mm-hmm. but it was Henry Bowers and her cousins familiar. He was like, Oh, he's being a fag and, and this and this. Well, and- no, it, it wasn't that it was. So like you could tell that the, that Henry Bowers' cousin had like a little bit of a like mm. oh when when they did the little finger touch well and they also like the compliment beforehand uh-huh. there was like a little spark before yeah. the before the physical touch right they, they were so, complimenting each other on their video game prowess I even read that scene as more innocuous than that it was in my mind it wasn't even flirtatious and and and, and maybe I read it differently than the rest of you it was innocent, completely innocent enough it was just a hey we're bonding over this game. But there was such this ingrained homophobia throughout the entire town. The moment it, things turned sideways, it was terrifying. The, but I do agree that the the, re, the read on adult Richie is that he, he is closeted gay, which I find interesting because of all the things, especially having lived through the traumas he's lived through, the thing he's most afraid of in that culture is being outed. Yeah. He, that's yeah. more terrifying than dealing with Pennywise face to face. He's more terrified of being outed in that culture. Well, and one of the things that we saw um, was, and of course, there's a there's a beautiful moment at the end when he goes back to the bridge, and it's that he was in love with Eddie. Yeah, mm-hmm. he yeah. loved Eddie, and maybe that's part of what that like that like the thing the the more scared of facing feelings maybe he was just more more scared of facing his feelings for his his friend best friend it yeah. could be that, well, he, that he recently rediscovered 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they did a lot of really fun stuff with with um, Richie, like you know when he returns to the synagogue and is remembering um, Sam. Mm-hmm. Bob, that, Stan, that, that was a beautiful, Stan's beautiful bar scene. That was, and it's it's showing how you know he always puts on this face, whether it's hiding his own insecurities or his own fears of being outed, whether mm-hmm. it's just. He puts on this, you know... I'm a funny guy. Right. He's, it's, he's, it's, he's a, a comedian. It's a shield. Yeah. It, it's, this, it's this suit of armor he wraps around himself. And to me, that was the first scene in the film where... And it's also the turning point for him where he realizes he doesn't want to run away from his friends or his responsibilities he wants to help fight. Mm-hmm. It's remembering seeing Stan Who? face up to all of his, to, to his parents, especially his dad, who was And they rabbi. say very early on, like, he's the weakest. He's... Mm-hmm. Yes. he's even and, though at the end you find out there's a reason in everything. Right. But they all consider Stan to be the the weakest of the group. So right. the weakest of us. I mean, even Eddie with a broken arm, they looked at as stronger than Stan. You know, mm-hmm. Stan, I agree, yeah. they, they viewed as the weakest, but only Richie, as a child, saw Stan as the strongest. Facing up to his entire community, his, his overbearing father, who was a rabbi for the synagogue... He was hounding him day in and day out to get his bar mitzvah perfectly mm-hmm. right, his reading of the Torah perfectly right, mm-hmm. his interpretation. You have to represent me and the family and all, it, all of his overbearingness. And then we, we don't have any indication of how that went until this film. And you see Stan just speaks his mind and runs amok and, and quite, not just shy of quite literally, drops the mic and just leaves. He's <laughs> mm-hmm. like... F you guys, F this. I'm my. And own he literally man. drops an F bomb in his bar mitzvah. Speech. He does, yeah. and then he what and then a, like he just walks baller. out like what a baller. And Richie stands. I think I said shit. But Richie stands and gives him a standing ovation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it's that memory that is just newly reformed in his mind that reminds him. You know yeah. what? There's strength with these people. These people are my friends for a reason. And I will fight to the death to save them. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's such a thing. Like, you know, you look at uh, LGBTQ and stuff like that. And, like, Ash and I are lucky enough to be on a podcast where we can talk about our sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I know there is... It's a scary thing. I especially think the scariest thing, and I'm saying this is something that came out very aggressively and very uncomfortably. And I've heard multiple horror stories about people coming out. But I think there's... When you're in that 30-year-old range and you're a guy, that has to be the most terrifying to come out. Because I feel like a lot of people, if you come out in college or if you come out in this, it's a changing point. It's something that you are still developing who you are. So you are now entering your adulthood after graduating Mm -hmm. college. Me, adult. Both Ashley and I left college being like, yes, we are bisexual, we are strong, we are this, rawr, fuck off. Um, most of my gay friends left college being like, I'm bi, I'm pan, I'm ace, I'm this, fuck off. Um, but, like, I had a next-door neighbor growing up. Um, and this was back in, like, late 90s. And uh, there was about three months where me and my parents didn't know if they were gay. It was two men. They bought a house in Porter Ranch. It was a two-story house, huge, big backyard. But because they didn't act gay, we didn't know, and I was 13. So, 
And then they asked me to babysit their cats. And we're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, because isn't it amazing how someone can be gay without being a stereotype? What? Mm-hmm. Crazy. But I think when you're already seeing the way that people see Richie. Right. Where you're a comedian, you're this. Like, in this thing, his first line is, so I told my girlfriend. Yeah. Like, the first line in his stand-up is being straight. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, they make an interesting point, uh, well, without making a point, because they don't call it out explicitly, but he leaves a very homophobic and very violent and very tense culture in Derry and moves out west and makes a name for himself. But um, if you do the the math on, you know, 89 is when the first film happens. Mm-hmm. By the time he leaves, it's probably... And, and starts his stand-up, because he's clearly a celebrity, he's known. He yeah. runs into fans during the film. Um, let's say it's mid-90s, mid to late-90s, when he starts the stand-up circuit in L.A. Still not kosher to be a gay comedian, because yeah. It's, yeah. you're going to get ridiculed. You're, it, it will kill your career. So he, he went from one fearful culture to another. He never felt comfortable being himself. And you, you and, see that with how snarky he is, how... Uh, more than I think anyone where Eddie is fearful for like, oh, I don't want to get sick in this. Like, I, I can't do this. I'm scared. Right. He's like, I won't do this. I won't put myself in this situation. I can't. I was His, going to oh, um, say, like, backpacking on Chris's point of, like, he uses his snark to kind of protect himself. You know, he would always be like, Oh, like, I fucked your mom last night. He'd always pull the, like, mom jokes, especially with Eddie. And stuff like that. Yeah, but it was just... That's who's in love yeah. with right. But, like, you know, just pulling those, like, Oh, I have a girlfriend. Oh, I fucked your mom. Blah, 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 blah. How's your mom? Like, that type of stuff. You know, he was trying to, like... It's almost a toxic masculinity. Yeah. Because of, he thinks that's how, how you express being... A man. Mm-hmm. Right, a, a heterosexual man. Yeah. 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 Well, what I think he thinks a man needs to be. Sure. And, and sorry, go ahead, Josh. Um, well, what I was going to say is, it, it's so very common for closeted homosexuals to pick on outed homosexuals. Mm-hmm. Which, like, I think that little. I think there's a lot more in that little scene with Henry Bauer's cousin than maybe you think, because, of course, as soon as. They have a look. They have a thing. As soon as he turns and sees Henry, what does he do? He's like, "Oh, he I had." Back. Yeah, he... that's that's what I was gonna. I wanted to. I wanted to say it was. Um, yeah, like I wanted to pack, uh, mention that earlier when we were talking about that scene in particular at the arcade was because I noticed he did kind of like he did kind of had a, have a moment with um, Bowers' cousin. No, I don't think he was given a name. I just totally blinked on... Richie? Thank you. I was like, the, the, the name just went whoosh. Um, Not like, my name. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, like, you know, Bowers' cousin had a moment with Richie, and he kind of, like, during the little finger touch, they kind of looked at each other like, oh. And then as soon as, like, Bowers' is cu- like Bowers comes in and is like, hey, what are you doing with my cousin? The cousin turns and looks at 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 Bowers and is like, oh, this fucking fag was da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And, like... Well, I also think you see it's it's the first time that, like, was almost, like, not, not to a degree, I would say, of triggering, but was kind of, like, heartbreaking for me. Uh, 
was being somebody who is who is very snarky and very sarcastic and very much uses that kind of thing as an emotional defense. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being in middle school, and I I had a crush on an, an older girl. She knew everything about Sailor Moon and could kind of speak Japanese and all this stuff. And was my little nerd girl dream. And at one point, somebody was like, oh, you have a crush on her. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, I felt so belittled. And so, like, I just kind of walked away. And if you notice, Richie doesn't say anything. Yeah, he just kind of sits there and... And he like, slowly oh, okay. walks away. It's, it's the only time when Richie does not have a comeback. Mm-hmm. Every other time between when Henry's coming at him, when anyone else is coming at him, even when he's facing Pennywise at the end, when he's like, come get some motherfucker, fuck you. Like, he's facing off against a giant space spider clown. <laughs> and he still got snark, but being called a fag by a boy you had a quick connection with stripped him of everything, well, and he, he couldn't even reply. I think it's twofold. I think it's, one, it's, in that moment, completely being caught off guard. You, it's a, at bare minimum, a completely innocent situation. He's playing his favorite video game in a a seemingly safe space with a complete stranger Mm -hmm. who, at minimum, they're getting along. There's no reason to think it's a hostile environment. And then suddenly, here comes just homophobic slurs and all this anger. Yeah, just... Catches him unawares. And the other thing, which I think is a, a key tenet for both films, is he's alone. It's it's easy to put on a brave face when you... Okay, there's five or six of them. They're bigger than us, but at least I got five people, five or six people behind me. At least if but I say something witty, they'll He's laugh. alone. And when, when uh, Bowers walks in with his crew and the cousin turns on Richie, it's like you could hear a pin drop. Everybody stops what they're doing. Everyone else playing arcade games stops and turns and stares. Even the guy making popcorn stops and stares. Like, it's just, everything stops to see what happens next. And it's a fight or flight moment. Richie doesn't, at that point in his life, I mean, even as an adult, it takes him a while to get to that point, doesn't have that, I'm willing to die on this hill. It's a, holy shit, I I want to survive. I'm going to run away. He keeps his mouth shut and he runs because... That's why he's still alive as an adult. It's also something, and, like, I can connect with this, is, like, I, I will not say I, I am a um, quiet, meek, or not loud person, because everybody in this room would laugh. Uh, <laughs> but it's the idea of, I want the spotlight on me on my terms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Ash knows this. If we go out and somebody, like, makes a huff about me, I get very uncomfortable. I don't like it when people pay attention to me. I like it when I bring attention to myself. Mm-hmm. I like it when I'm snarky or I'm this. If I want you to pay attention to me, I'm going to say something. I'm going to do something. But if I'm just sitting here enjoying my life and somebody like kind of puts the spotlight on me, I get insanely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing with Richie. It's he's bringing attention. He's saying sarcastic things. He's hooking them. He's being the comedian. Of, I'm going to make you laugh and thus you're going to look at me. But now it's, they're looking at me because you're laughing at 
me. And it's that really big shake yeah. of it. Um, overall, I'm I'm definitely like, for the love of God, don't make Elsa gay. <laughs> I don't like it when they make characters gay for the sake of making characters gay. We don't need a Disney princess to be gay because we want a gay Disney princess. We want to have a gay Disney character have be a Disney character that's gay because they're gay. Um, and normally I don't really like it when they randomly are like, and this character is gay. And, you know, Tolk or uh, Rowling, you decided to make Dumbledore gay. Okay, with the coats and the beard. All right, we kind of get it. <laughs> um, but she, it, it was a little bit element like I'm cool with Dumbledore being gay but it felt a little oh yeah and he's gay like shoved into a character you're talking about with Richie? no with Dumbledore okay no no, no. I'm saying like with, when, when, when writers decide or a film decides to just and now we're gonna make this character gay well so and it doesn't really work with what we've had I'll, I'll out myself as being maybe the only person in the room, maybe one or two people in the room who actually, and I sheepishly admit this, have not read the book. But I grew up watching the miniseries over and over and over again. Technically, right now, Josh is the only one that's fully read the book. All right, well, then we can all gang up on Josh. But, so... <laughs> I got I would, ammo, bitches. <laughs> I, would, uh, I would defer to Josh if he, uh, if he felt like this was a huge... pages worth. If he felt Here like this was a huge departure for the book version of the character... But in chapter one versus chapter two, to me, this felt perfectly fine and uh -huh. natural because there was no qualifiers on his orientation or anything remotely like that. Because, again, he's 14, 15, Well, that's actually what I was saying. in the first book, or first chapter. Is it didn't feel... It didn't feel forced. No. And it felt mm. like even as it was introduced and as it was explored, it was still harboring unsettled. They didn't beat you over the head with it. They didn't go out of their way. They just created situations which more focused on um, an environment where regardless of his actual orientation, so long as it's not completely cis-hetero, he couldn't talk about it. And that's that's the kind of cool thing is uh, Richie could be gay, he could be bi, he could be pan, he could be ace, he could be anything, but all you know is that Richie had romantic feelings at one point, flirtatiously towards a boy he played a video game with, and towards Eddie. Right, and I think for me, again, as as a as the viewer of this particular film, and a fan of the original miniseries and watching Chapter One evolve into Chapter Two, to me the bigger takeaway was world building for this is the environment that Pennywise's essence has tainted what would or wouldn't be Derry without him. This is this hateful place. Now granted again Richie left and he moved to the west coast and still felt like he needed to be closeted but I think it's because he grew up in an environment that was so volatile and coming back as an adult is even more volatile. It's, it's, it's this is Pennywise's influence and it has tainted these kids as they grew into adults. They, they've learned to hide things about themselves. Oh, definitely. To hide their memories, to hide who they are, to be afraid of who and what they are. Um, Some more successfully than others. 
Yeah. Sure. I mean, that might be a great segue into Bev, but if we're going to get to her later, I mean, that's yeah. another character. I know you wanted to write something about this. Uh, there's just one one thing as the as the as the person who's read the book. Uh, <laughs> oh damn. Um, I I would argue that Richie being gay uh, is the most logical thing based on who they are in the books because he's literally the only person in the book who doesn't have a romantic partner. Well, Ben doesn't have an adult romantic partner, no, but, but he has Bev. But he he has Bev. He's that's in love thing. with her. But that's the thing is what I'm saying right. is in the book, uh, Bill's married, Bev is married, Ben uh, has been with girls, and he talks about it. Yeah. Um, well, Mike, I guess they don't really bring anything up because he's married to killing. Dairy. He's married <laughs> to killing Penny. The library. Um, uh, he has become a watcher. Yeah, Eddie marries <laughs> yes. Eddie marries somebody. You know, but like basically, what I'm saying is, Richie's the only one in the book who they never. There's as at least, yeah, yeah. at least as far as I can remember, there's never any mention of him being with anybody. Yeah, man, male. No, or and the, the film echoes that too. You see everyone's significant other who has one, but you Mike, don't see his. Mike and Richie being the outliers, and again, it, Mike's Mike's love is protecting the entire town of Derry. Uh, to move on from one B to another. Um, Bev in this podcast, or Bev in this movie, uh, we have a discussion when we did It Chapter 1. Wow, we have a big fan of Bev, apparently, in the background. <laughs> um, she got really fucking nerfed. Yeah. In Chapter 1. In Chapter 1. She was she was so nerfed. Uh, Bev, in the book and in the miniseries, she's the fighter. She's the one that has the slingshot. She's the one that does the killing blow to it in both a child form and adult form. And in chapter one, she got saved by a kiss, which I had so very, very, very many issues with. Huh. Um, and in this film, uh, they, they gave her an odd superpower. Yeah, I like when she stood into the deadlights. They're like, "Oh, now she can see everyone's death," which I, I yeah, was that like, was, "That was a little weird." That was a little, but I kind of liked it because they decided to not make her the fighting force. So she she got a little cordy. She got a little Cordelia in Angel. Yeah, yeah a like bit, a little bit. Yeah, as I say, either that or like, I mean, you know, one of the trailers that we watched before it was. Doctor Sleep. I was about to say Doctor No Sleep. God not damn it, Ella. Because <laughs> I like Doctor Sleep and I like the No Sleep podcast, and I just go, no, one thing. It's fun. <laughs> um, we saw the trailer for Doctor Sleep, and they talk about these people having the Shining. Yeah, and that's their like almost their superpower, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, and it kind of almost gave her that like, oh, she has some sort of thing kind of like she's the got shining. the shining a light gazed upon her and now she shines <laughs> yeah. um, I, I was okay with it um it, it was clearly meant to be a plot device so because it's in the context it, as it's introduced it's in the context of people are debating just leaving Derry. like i give up why would we do this again mm-hmm. and even when somebody says yes but they'll he'll keep eating children well i don't care they're not my kids i'm gonna leave town you know F this. And she makes it clear. So, uh, you know, when it's introduced, it's in the context of people are threatening to leave town. I don't care about the mission. I don't care about Pennywise. I don't care about all the children that might die. 
uh, self-preservation, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. And she makes it clear, if you leave, you still die. Death is coming for you, and that death is at Pennywise's hands, either directly or indirectly. Mm -hmm. The only way to live is to fight. And I think you, you kind of had to do that, because like, in the book, you have, as Josh has said, it's a almost 1,000-page book. 500 of the pages are based on children, 500 pages are based on adults around there. So you have time mm. to to build the reason why these characters stay. Right. Where, like, I, I've said this in, like, us talking about a film, uh, there are certain things that I feel like they do theatrically that work. Right. And I feel like having it be a theatrical point where she can suddenly see the future. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, again, and Josh, please correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. As somebody who has not read this particular book, um, I, I in theory I like the idea that this is the only character we've met who has stared into the deadlights and survived. That this gives you some some small amount of clairvoyance, specifically into how people die. That's an interesting step deeper into the lore of like. I stared into the face of entropy and lived, and what that tells me is I now see how you all die. Like that's a little bit an interesting. A little, mm-hmm. it, but it's a little. It's an interesting idea. Does it work? Does it work? In my mind, it does mostly as a plot device, which is what it needs not, to be. Yeah, yeah. which is it's like what it was. It was a plot we, device. Yeah, it's it's. We're trying to streamline a, a thousand and ninety-four page book. I've memorized the number now. Thanks, John. Yeah. <laughs> um, Burned into my brain. Yep, yeah, but. Um, <laughs> To streamline it, it helps move characters from point A to point B a lot faster. Um, but on, on a grander scale, this this concept of you've 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 seen something no other living being that we're aware of has seen, and it 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 tainted you, it haunted you to a point where you see these. Because again, at the end of the day, we don't know if her her horrific nightmares she sees every night are true, or but, it's Pennywise fucking with her. Right, but yeah. we do know she dreams every night of her and all of her friends dying. Uh, as far as I'm aware, in the book, no one looks into the deadlights. Henry Bowers does, and it turns him insane. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we have that. Um, the other interesting thing they kind of gave us for uh, resolution style is is you get the Bill Ben Bev love triangle, mm-hmm. which um, I I love this love triangle. Yeah. I'm, I'm normally not a big fan of love triangles, but I love the idea of Bev idolizing the guy that she thought gave her the poem. Yeah, because it's this idea of, like, every girl, as we are too in this podcast, you had some guy at some point do something romantic that you don't know, you don't remember his name, but it sticks out. Mm-hmm. And freshman year, I don't know the guy's name. Um, I got what? Jim. I would be surprised. Uh, I had a very good friend who had curly hair. He had skin cancer, and he got into a fight with a bunch of these baseball players, and they were threatening to cut off his hair. And I took my immediate little fighting girl stance and everything. And there was this guy, and he was like, "Hi," and I was like, "Um, hello, middle of something." And uh, he ended up actually asking me as a senior, as a freshman, out to winter formal. Uh, I don't believe I made cohesive words for about two hours. Because <laughs> I was just so like... Uh, mm, mm. But like, I still 
almost 20 years later, remember that moment. Would you say your heart burns there, too? My heart does burn there, too. Mm. Like, um, a, like a winter fire? It I was. mean, your hair is kind of winter fire right now. It changes. <laughs> there's it, there's hints we, of winter fire. Does it literally fire. catch on fire as you're running through the halls of the school? Uh, Not only when she's mad at me. Then. <laughs> oh, God. It he smells apart. sulfur. My hair catches on fire. So, that's, I thought that was potpourri. No, oh. that, that's no, me when I'm pissed. It's the fires of hell that course through her when she's angry at me. Uh, but, I, uh, but, yeah, every girl has that that moment about a guy that may or may not be real. Mm-hmm. This guy could have totally been saying that shit as a joke or to distract me or whatever. But I will forever hold it in my heart as just this moment that this cute guy saw me and wanted to ask me out to a dance. Yeah. I think when you're young, it's it's easy to get distracted by especially a guy like Bill. Yeah. You know? We, we've all had that Bill crush. Yes. That brown hair... Chestnut eyes, that sexy stutter. He has blue eyes. Sexy he has blue eyes. Get it right. Um, the thing I liked about the the love triangle there is it's it's a case of mistaken identity, where Bev has made an assumption. She has not told Bill why she thinks he's into her, and so he's completely unaware. Meanwhile, Ben knows. Ben is the only one who knows all the facts, mm-hmm. but is too shy. He's made he's made his own assumption that because she's rejected she's rejected me based on my appearance. So the thing I liked about the the love triangle here is it's it's built on a case of mistaken identity. This is something straight out of Shakespeare, where somebody gets a note from from an anonymous suitor, mistakes somebody else's identity, but does not give enough details to said mistaken identity. In this case, Bill, where he would know why Bev is pursuing him. He's just wow, this amazing human being is into me, and you know what? I think I'm into her. I, I, this is great. Meanwhile, poor Ben, who is the actual suitor, is so insecure about his appearance because that's everything he's been taught by society around him and the way he's treated by others, that he thinks, well, of course, she, well, it's not even that he thinks, I'm sure on some level he thinks there's no way she'd be into me, but he, I think it's, it's even... He doesn't even think that far ahead. It's just, well, how can I can compete with somebody? A cute guy. A, mm-hmm. a cute and, and talented person like Bill. And then it's funny because that um, carries over to his adult life because, as we've seen, he has gone out of his way as he's growing up. But it's interesting to see Ben as an adult because we've seen that he has cultivated his body. He, he has gone out of his way to... <laughs> right? To counteract... <laughs> oh. Oh, so the weird thing about Ben is I saw the trailer and I couldn't remember where he was from. I still don't know. What is he from? He is from this really shitty CW show called Beauty and the Beast, and I watched it. Neil Patrick Harris plays a deaf teacher. Wow. No, he's not deaf. He's blind. Oh, he's a blind teacher. Sorry. But he, he pretty much plays a beast, and thus he would get angry and growl and turn into like a werewolfy thing. But of course, it was Beauty and the Beast, and it, the the girl was uh, Lana from Smallville. Okay, so TV I was unfamiliar was with Beastly. his work previous to this. What TV show is called Beastly? Nope, no, it's called Beauty and the Beast. 
Beastly was the weird movie where the guy had the weird lines right. in him. Yeah. Well, either way, I was unfamiliar with whatever his past uh, credits are, so I was it's, impressed. It's the Beast, and he was his entire thing was to angrily, roaringly rip off articles of clothing. So the actor who played Ben, <laughs> I, I was unfamiliar with his past credits, so I walked in assuming he was a, a lesser known or, or or oh, it's still lesser known because like I'm one of the like ten people in a right that or show. or brand new ingenue. Either way, I felt with what he was given for the role, you know, he's not. A lead, even in the scenes where he is the lead of the scene, but I mean, he—he's not just sitting there chewing the scenery. He—he he emotes well. He does a really good job. He's a good physical actor. Um, a great scene to talk about him in the background. Um, there's a, there's the scene where they're at the J Dragon, mm-hmm. and Bill and Bev are talking, and you can see him in the background watching them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but they're having a conversation and uh, Eddie is there and I think uh, Eddie's on the other side of him and I think you might be able to see Mike. But he's not in focus. Yeah. But he's just watching Be- or Bill and Bev with just this look on his face. Of, like, what else can I do? You know, I wanted to bring up a few things with Ben. I agree everything you guys have said. Um, in the book, there's a great moment when Bill and Bev first see each other in the, in the, at the restaurant. Hug, I think they even kiss or something. Mm-hmm. This is the book. Yeah, in the book. And whoever's narrating it, I think it's Mike... It's, it's kind of told from a weird point of view, but they describe Ben seeing them, like, kiss. This beautiful Adonis-like man suddenly looks like the fat kid because mm. he just crumbles. Even 27 years later, with very limited memories, he still knows the crippling defeat of seeing Bev with Bill. And it's just like that. And he, he says, like, even though he's this felt good-looking guy, he looks like the fat, ugly kid in that instant because it just cripples him so. And that speaks to me. Uh, I was I was not attractive in my middle school years, probably because I was reading Stephen King's It when I was in sixth grade in the corner. It was and, the grease paint, mostly. Yeah, yeah. It was, but, um... But, like, I, I totally, like, I totally get that. I'm saying my... Um, like middle school awkward nerd girl reading Stephen King in the corner would have still fallen in love with you. Well, maybe I was, but I was I was such a nerd and I was so unconfident. Like in a total Ben move, I actually wrote a love letter to a girl because we were studying uh, Egypt at the time. I wrote her a love letter in hieroglyphs. Oh, I knew oh hieroglyphs my was coming. I knew it was coming. Why haven't wow. I gotten a letter in hieroglyphs? Sorry, well, you're just you're not now, quite at her level. Because now I'm now I'm more confident, and I can actually. Talk okay, to there you. you that that's Aww. the right answer. That's the right. That's answer. sweet. No, I now want to love her in a hieroglyph. Fuck off. All right, I'll dust you. I'll dust off my ancient Egyptian for you. Thank you. Um, I haven't done that in years, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So like, I totally I totally get that, and like, I think it's, I think it's so great, like how they how they show that, and then of course. The scene in this movie where his his flashback scene where he's in summer school 
and Bev comes to him and rejects him and calls him fat and ugly. And it's, of course, Pennywise mm-hmm. doing it. Um, but just, like, I know, like, when you are uh, overweight and you feel super unattractive and, like, the, that is your greatest fear. Just, like, hearing someone you care about say all these things you think about yourself. And that that's obviously struck me, and that was very... That was, just, that was a really uh, important scene, I thought. Um, um, I think it was important. I also think, like, um, the, the way... Because in, in the book and in the miniseries, uh, Bev figures it out well before the final fight. Yeah, I think she she learned she does. It's not until they're grown ups. She doesn't. Well, no, I'm saying before the final fight as adults. Yeah. yeah, no, she doesn't find out that Ben wrote it during the fight like she did in this one. Um, but like I said, to go back to doing something in a theatrical style, um, the idea of like in this absolute terror filled moment, the thing that that breaks Bev out of it is Ben yelling, "I love you." Yeah, mm-hmm. screaming out the poem. And... and screaming out the poem. And um, if you look at Bev and the way they've depicted her in the movie, in both chapter one and chapter two, um, she is a deeply, deeply ingrained to abuse. Um, I, I really want to get into the parts about her husband later on and stuff they don't really go into. Um, but she is this deeply abused, the one guy she's kind of had a crush on or felt things for, she shared a kiss when she was 14. Her husband's abusive, her father was abusive. Um, I'm guessing the phrase, I love you, pretty much has always been used in a manipulative, aggressive, controlling sense. Right. Yeah, true. Right. Especially with, like, her father. Yeah, and with right. the husband and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, you have to imagine the husband was, even in the courting process, was the same way. Yeah, uh, so just to hear this this pure moment where not just Bev is about to die, but Ben thinks he's gonna die. And his final thing of just, like, if I'm going to die, Bev, I love you. Right, yeah. I can't die not having said it. Uh, but yeah, it's the idea that Ben at his at the end of his life, his last moments, or believed end of his life. Yeah, believed end of his life. The last thing he had to say was, "Bev, I love you." Yeah, he did not want to die with having never actually said those words. The thing that clearly, it, again, this is a, a, a story book, movie, movies, miniseries that is about fear and overcoming fear. Yeah, he's not afraid of his appearance or his weight whether it's in, you know, he's heavy or he's fit or whatever, he's afraid to... He's afraid of rejection. Exactly. Mm -hmm. He's afraid... I've made friends. This girl gave me the time of day, and not in a romantic way, in a friend way. I... The last thing I want is for her to reject me as a friend because I share that I have romantic feelings for her. Which is when in the flashback, when Pennywise came to him during summer school... Yeah. It's this idea that he he finally yeah, like he leans, expressed like, okay, his romantic I'm interest because she's like it's you and me, it's about us. And she rejected him romantically, but also with the connotation that it would then impact their friendship, which is what he's most afraid of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to be alone. Yeah, but that's and that's Pennywise even says that before he like slams yeah. the door. Right. It's like you're he, gonna die alone. 
Because that's that's been his biggest fear. Exactly. Yeah. Pennywise but, knows all of the greatest fears, and that's what he's phoning in on. Yeah. But I think Bev getting that, but also I feel like to to go back to Bev and to go back, I think to women in relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that like when they f- fall out of it, they have that moment where they're about to kiss, and they're like, "Okay, stop, pause, gotta go do this thing." Um. Those relationships that you have, and we both have them, where you you can't not kiss the person, and it's so passionate, it's so this. And that's kind of what I felt like her and Bill. Her and Bill was, because it was after the, no, it was before the fight. Was it before the fight? No, it's after, after they cut their hands and they've done all this that they kiss. Yeah, that's right, because it's leaving, yeah, and she leaves blood. Um, But, like, that scene when she kissed him, was just like, oh, I'm so in the moment. You, like, I know you were the one that gave me the poem. I'm gonna kiss you, and we're gonna be boyfriend and girlfriend, and it's going to be great. And then... But those are the relationships that never work. Yeah. And then, you know, there's the scene of them riding away on Silver, and she's just, like, she's hugging him. And, of course, the you should go before your dad sees. Like, that whole, like... It's, it's, It's the forbidden love trope. Yeah. And, like, oh, we shouldn't do this, oh, I'm kissing you, but then if you look at her and Ben, even though they're about to kiss, even though Ben has, like, wanted to kiss her for 27 years. Neither of them are idiots. They know, uh, I might kiss you, but that could kill us. We should get up and go fight the... But, but that's, that's... Fight the that, weird serpent spider thing. But I think that's guy. a pros of a good relationship. Yeah, I mean, but I noticed, like, they kiss another time in the hotel, too. Because it cuts back to as, that. as adults? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bill, Bill, Bill and Bill. Which is technically adultery on both their parts. Real quick, fun little factoid from the book that uh, happens. There's a point in the book, after they've met each other at the dragon, after all this stuff, uh, Bill and Bev fuck for a minute. Oh. That's, that's sad on both their parts. Just a minute? Don't, yeah. I feel like they actually, I feel like they did that in the miniseries. No, they don't. Well, they don't fuck. They, they just kiss. But, like, there's... I, oh, I thought there was, like, a scene where, like, it shows them, like, they've just finished, like, getting dressed or something. No, no, no. There's a scene in the book where, like, all of a sudden, Bev is just kind of like, fuck it. I need... Dick. I need I need dick. And she <laughs> just, like, grabs Bill and just, they start having sex. And Bill has, like, a thought inside his head. like, I'm cheating on my wife. This is awful. This is awful. This is awful. And she's having thoughts like this, that, and the other. And then all of a sudden, she stops and she's like, all of you? And he's like, wait, what? And she says, I made love to all yeah, of you? Yeah, I remember this. Oh. Ella mentioned this in, well, yeah, there's, there's, in the episode, yeah, in yeah. the first episode. I mean, we can get into it if we that, want. That well, I'm, I'm good on skipping that point. We, we got into that in the first episode. There's a child orgy. Yeah, well, since the films don't, I, I don't, it, it has no bearing on these films because, or even the miniseries, because they just don't. Because you can't. You cannot film a child orgy. There's, there's, but yeah, it has no bearing on on this version of the story. Well, even Stephen King has come out and said if he could, if he could erase the scene, maybe shouldn't have done that one. Yeah, he's he said it was wrong. Um, to continue, yeah, just going back to like their kiss. Yeah, but Um, basically, I just wanted to throw in that thing where Bill and Beth. Yeah. As adults, have sex for a for a minute. Yeah, we're going to ignore all the parts of sex in it because it's all weird. Yep. 
Um, but anyway, so like they have that moment where they kiss at the hotel. But they're recreating it down they're to her hand. Her hand right, up on his and ear. Forth. And it's like, a, yeah, they cut back and forth between them as kids and them as... And he and Ben kind of looks at her like, what? That was weird. Why, why did you... Why? why? Why not me? I mean, Bill. No, Bill looks at her like after oh, this. Oh, sorry. Bill, I yeah, I, I said... Ben, ben, of course, is in the corner like... Have you seen my abs? <laughs> oh, we yeah. got a great shot of his abs in that scene where they're car- where he's carving yeah. into him. I was like, uh-huh. shit, Ben. Yeah. I'm not really into blood play, but I could be. Um, <laughs> That's for good. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yes. no, she's she's keeping that. Um, but we, no, we like... We have it on record. Yeah, <laughs> heavy. In, in case my mom is listening to this, uh... <laughs> We're please. not we're not cutting each other for sexual pleasure, mom. Please, please, uh, please yes. stop listening. Uh, Fifteen minutes ago. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So the kiss in yes. the hotel. So the kiss in the hotel, and Ben. I mean, Bill. Sorry, Bill. Kind of looks at her like he like he almost looks confused at like what was that for? Yeah. I, I feel like they both kind of get a, con- a bit of a confused look. I feel like it's but the, he also the memories has, coming back. They're that, still forming those memories. That yeah. they're just they. I feel like Bev had the memory, and just was like, and then we did this, mm-hmm. and the, and I don't even feel like it's her kissing Bill. It's her forming the memory. Yeah, well, recreating the memory. That brings up a, a great point because since they seemingly everyone who left Derry seemingly has zero memories of that ch- point in their childhood. We have Ben, who has kept the letter mm. in his wallet uh, the entire time mm-hmm. without remembering as to why it's important to him. But he somehow, remembers Beth. But like I think he I don't, does. I don't, I don't but think he doesn't. He doesn't remember who she is, but, but he, he knows, remem- he knows, he knows right Beth. Important. Yeah, he, he remembers the He person. knows there is a person who was important to me. They don't remember each other at all because when Mike calls each of them. None of them even recognize his name. Mike who? From where? And then he has to spell it out for them, and Mm -hmm. then they know. I think it has to... You can't half-ass this. It has to be... It's all or nothing. Well, I think the idea is he remembered this person that was important by her name, and I think he... Because, like, you get where uh, Richie throws up immediately afterwards. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, in a certain way, Ben remembered the love he had for Bev and kept it in that paper, maybe not remembering who she was or what happened. But remembering but a person that he had a love for. That Maybe right. not remembering the person. Just, this is love. This is what I feel. No, right. This is, this is, I get that. This piece of paper is important to me, but the people involved are the cool. memory of. This is like memento yeah. Where I have tattoos all over me, and I yeah. have no idea what they mean, but they're important. It, it's Can you imagine carrying something with you for 27 years, and you don't know why, you just know it's... It's like, I have a very... bring yourself to throw it away. I have but a very they, specific case of Alzheimer's that just this piece of paper, I don't remember why I have it, but it's important and I cannot throw it away. But also, in for, for all of Stephen King's, and like we've had this discussion on multiple ones of podcasts, mm-hmm. of Stephen King relationships, of... Uh, Stephen King does not write the best relationships. He also no. is very bad at writing sex. Uh, again, we're not talking about the sex in this. I'm not yeah, talking about it. I'm talking oh. about it in general. Oh. Uh, but we're 
for all of the bad relations, for all of the Gerald's game, for all of the carries, for all of this, there's Ben and Bev. Yeah. I mean, especially so in this movie, there's scene where they grab um, Richie's glasses. And then they and kiss they in, the in the water. I just had so many feels for that kiss. Oh, it was just so sweet. So My immediate feel was don't kiss underwater. That's just the best. Well, yeah, I don't I, care. Well, I mean, and then That's I was some like, gross ass water they were kissing in too. Right, like, I had I, I literally, you, literally defined multiple times as gray water. But so. you do, guys, both of you men know at some point now in your lives you do have to kiss with underwater like that, right? I mean, I, yeah, it's it's it's. It, I wouldn't say green. I wouldn't say you know uh, to kiss me in the. Dirty creek water that is dairy water. It's a hell of a euphemism. But dirty creek, dirty water, dehydrating dairy. <laughs> never, kiss, never kiss your fiance in the dairy. <laughs> I mean, uh, um, I wouldn't say you know that that water, but like you know maybe if we're like in Greece or something and the water's nice and clear and beautiful. Oh yeah, still a euphemism. I'll kiss you under under that water all the time, baby. So, okay. Like, you give me a Brita filter, I'll kiss you wherever you want. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't you gotta love our romantic men? There's some mm-hmm. product placement there too for Brita. Sure, Brita, please call me. <laughs> um, to to move on from we we've had a good discussion about Ben and Bev and Bill and Bev and Bev. Uh, let let's let's go into a not so fun discussion about oh Bev. Um, they didn't super touch on it in the movie, mm-hmm. and that was actually something that was slightly problematic for me, um, is that the idea that both, uh, Eddie, who, really, really funny, we realize this, Eddie's wife is played by the same actress that played Eddie's mom. Perfect. Amazing. Eddie literally marries his mom. Literally. Amazing. Perfect. I love that touch. Um, but the idea that Bev marries... An abusive, controlling man. Yeah, yes. but so like in the miniseries, they definitely like they they hit that right at the beginning of the boot. Like poor choice of words. Ooh, <laughs> why? Yeah, um, they definitely do that full heartedly in the beginning of you know this is Bev's life outside of Dairy. Like yeah. You know, she's a fashion designer, and he's like, you need to do this, you need to do that, da, da, da. And, like, being very controlling of her, and then when they're at home, like, he's loving, and then all of a sudden, he flips again when she's like, oh, I have to go. He's like, the fuck you don't. Well, and, and it's, they, it's they, as soon as the, the other man's name comes up. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's once like, another man. And it wasn't so much that issue for me that I had. It was the issue of the fact that the, the group of friends she's with uh, they do a good job, but they show the fact she has bruises on her arm. Chris, you mentioned this earlier. That girl should have had a shiner. Yeah, she gets... They, they do not... Uh, I, this is a terrible pun that I don't intend, but I can't find better words. They do not pull their punches in that scene. She gets hit on camera very hard right in the face. Like, and, yeah, and, the, and, and, not, and not a slap. He punches, he punches yeah. her right in the eye. And she flies. I was actually disappointed because I think it would be very telling for her character, especially to meet these people for the first time with a very, like, I did my best covering with makeup, black Yeah, like, to, like, even to have a scene of her just putting on like, makeup. Oh, oh, like, you know, just 
right, trying because, to dab it and cover it up. Yeah, you know, we've got we've got people uh, who have varying degrees of. My life is mostly together, but there are broken bits. I mean, they they go out of the way to show, Bill, I'm incredibly successful, but I can't trust anybody because everyone's blowing smoke up my ass about my my endings being good or yeah. bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richie, um, is seemingly has a good has a good yeah uh, comedic career, but the moment he gets a bad phone call credit, in his mind, the worst possible phone call, he answers it with booze. To me, that is like a suggestion of it's like a telling sign. A- a- yeah, yeah, there, yeah it's it's hyper controlling. But yeah, Ed, Ed, Evs is so far above. Eddie and his yeah, Eddie and his wife can't be in the same space in the same house at the same time. Eddie's doing a puzzle while she's planning their like social life. Oh, you mean Stanley? Oh, sorry, that's Stanley. Yes, yeah. Stanley has the healthiest. Yeah. Well, well, in the in the book, their their relationship is okay. very healthy. And I I, 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 well, into that I feel scene. like in the in the mini series, they're in a, they're in completely different rooms. In this one, they were in the same room. He was doing the puzzle, and, and she was planning something. She well, was planning their their, their vacation. vacation together, which no, 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 didn't seem the, healthy. No, no, but in the in the miniseries, they're they're having. He's reading the newspaper, and she's like, "My mom was asking when we're going to make her grandparent." And he says, "Well, I was thinking the same thing." They play because okay. in the book, in the book, they're trying desperately, and to they're get they're desperately in love too. They're yeah. they're the healthy relationship. But uh, I think the big thing that kind of bothered me about it was. Um, I, I had a uh, very bad abuse growing up, and um, I had a group of really good guy friends growing up that would just be like, you're going to stay at my place, or you're going to do this, or and I had you, and I had, like, Mandy, yeah. and... Well, I mean, you and I, even in, like, in college, like, you would have a moment where, like, because I had, you know, my stepdad, he wasn't physically abusive but he was very emotionally abusive oh yeah i had to have you over a lot where you were just like i'm ugly and i'm terrible yeah like i don't want to go home because i'm gonna be i'm gonna be told that i'm not loved and it was like okay say like i could tell if you were not in a good place where i'd be like hey you're coming over and spending the night and it wasn't so much hey do you want to it was more it's what this is what you need yeah and um in the miniseries and in the book they they see bev's abuse and they comment And, and they're aggressive, especially Richie. Richie is angry, because Richie, even though they don't get along, Richie's kind of the most protective, in a way. Yeah. Or at least vocally. Well, he he loves Bev, but he loves her like a sister. Yeah. But I that's think the that's the thing. thing. He's, he's one of the, like, especially in the book, like, he, his relationship with Bev is, like, he's kind of, like, flirty with her, but not that he's expecting it to go anywhere, but just because, like... They can, they can pull well, off Well, but she's other. the only girl in the group, so when he wants to make a joke about girl stuff, he can make it to her. It, and of it course, almost, it's and similar of to, like, me and Joel. Yeah, and of course, she's always going to be there to be, like, deep beep, Richie, which... Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I'm kind of sad they... Uh, uh, he did it once. Uh, yeah, I'll... I'll I, I'm sorry, I'll get sidetracked. But, like, it's similar to, like, me and Joel. You know, mm. where Joel and I can sit there and we can discuss every single failed, bad, psycho, crazy date either one of us has gone on. And I can say this, if I if I had ever shown up with a bruise while being friends with Joel, like, uh, for the podcast listeners, Joel's, is, Joel's my lovely friend who's, what, six foot two? Tall, yeah, tall right. dude, yeah. Yeah. Uh, built. He now seems, he's gotta be like six four. He's, he's tall. He's so sweet and so nerdy. Have either one of you two, because all three of you know Joel. Have you ever seen Joel mad? 
No, I've seen him frustrated. No. It's terrifying. You work with them, babe. Like, have you haven't seen him mad yet? I I've seen. It's him. like Gollum. It's I, like Gollum. I've seen him. I've never seen him mad. I've seen him frustrated. I've seen him, you know, looking for advice on stuff. Where seeing, he's, he's upset about something, but never angry. Seeing Joel mad is like the Smeagol to Gollum thing. I'm literally wearing a t-shirt I bought while he and I were at a brewery. So. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, it's so flipped. It's so startling because he's so big, but he's such a teddy bear and he's such a sweetheart. He's, he's, he's tall. He's, he's lanky. Um, but, uh, he married us. He did marry us. Well, in, uh, in I, both I, of you, that's big of me. No, that's big of me. Since uh, tell us. I, I've seen Joel pissed off at quite a few of my exes. And yeah, uh, you remember Broski? Oh yeah, Broski was tall. Yeah, Broski I mean, was big. Broski ran out of the house because Joel yelled. Personally, I, would I never remember date that. Anyone named I remember Broski. that night. Yeah, uh, Joel yelled at somebody hard enough that they fled the premises. That's impressive. We're getting a little off topic. Yes, but um, the the idea that I I, I missed in this was. As, as much as you got the community stuff like that, they never mentioned her being abused at all. Like, and they, if it, you see the bruises the whole damn film. Yeah, like, if, if you didn't see the bruises, if they didn't make it a point to show the bruises on her arm, I would be like, well, whatever, they don't know. But it's very clear the whole time. Like, they, they don't shy away from showing the bruises. Yeah. yeah. And if you're, if you're gonna show those, do it. Maybe it's a deleted scene. Yeah, but... Also, a deleted just, scene. Sorry, a deleted scene. You might as well not shoot. I mean, putting it as a special feature does not make. Well, it I'm saying it might be a scene that they shot and they wanted to put in the film that they had to cut. But I'm saying for like lengthwise, it, it's a thing where it's a big enough point about the idea that pretty much everybody comes from at least normal-ish families, and everyone is aware of what Bev grew up in. To have Bev show up again. 27 years later with bruises would be a point that all six of these characters would be aggressive about because they would be like, no, last time we saw you, you had bruises. How, 27 years later, do you still have these bruises? Well, and to kind of, I'm going to, this is a point I wanted to make earlier. Like, when in the scene with her husband in this movie where he starts off, like you, the, you yeah. think I was so confused. You think yeah, you he's like, I trust you, babe. I love you. I was like, whatever huh? you need, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, he grabs her and it changes. Why are you lying to me? Yeah, like and like that's that's horrible and that's awful and that's terrifying. But like, I think it's borderline irresponsible of whoever did the the stunts, the fight choreography in the movie, to have him straight up punch her in the face because we see no fallout from it. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, but, like, if you're going to have a full-grown man punch, straight-up punch, not slap, punch a woman in the face, and there's no repercussions from it, that's not good. And, like, and that's his, his last resort, because she fights back. He whips her with his belt. Yeah. yeah. He throws her around, mm-hmm. and you, you get a sense that this is typical this, this yeah, is a typical, weird thing. But that this is not punch, a one-off. That but yeah, no, punch. and that's what struck me. Uh, terrible choice of words. It was because there was literally no makeup 
after that to suggest that it had ever happened. Yeah. She walked out of there right right as rain, literally in the rain. Mm-hmm. All she did was take off her wedding ring and leave it behind. And that was like a, I put it. I've put I'm putting I've you put behind. I put a period me. on the end of this part of my life. It's like I I'll, all yeah. I'm saying is like the punch. Like if you weren't if you weren't going to do makeup, if you weren't going to have to explain it, if there was no fallout from it, like she doesn't like she would. Probably have a concussion at m- at least from See, the amount. If, if he's a lifelong abuser, he's going to want to hide the abuse. Yeah. So the arms would have been a great poignant moment but for someone to notice something that she's yeah. trying to hide. And, and yeah. An interesting thing, actually, in the book, uh, both Bill's wife and Bev's husband come to Derry in the in the book. Absolutely, yeah. And um, Pennywise Shrimp kills Bev's husband. Yeah, he does. <laughs> the only good thing Pennywise did. Penny, he's, he's, he's not all bad. Pennywise might murder children and burn down clubs and explode steel mills, but God damn it, he killed that abuser. So Is this it, your Pennywise 2020 yes, slogan? Pennywise, Pennywise 2020. 2020. He kills abusers. He may eat kids, but he kills abusers. Pennywise 2020. He's not all bad. Uh, so speaking of uh, marriages, um, something they, they didn't do in the movie in... They kind of did in uh, the miniseries. They did not do it all in this. Is the idea that they can't have kids. Yeah, like, I know, like, Josh mentioned earlier that uh, Stanley and... His Stanley's wife. wife. Yeah, Stanley and his wife. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Uh, Stanley and his wife, Priscilla. Stanlina. <laughs> Stanlina. <laughs> Stanley and Stanlina were desperately trying to have babies in the book. Right? Yeah, and they couldn't. And it was like, it was one of those things, there was no medical reason. So, but yeah, so the, in the scene, in when you first meet the characters, you actually meet them as, as adults first. Stanley and Stanlina. Yes. So you meet, so you, I'm saying all the Losers Club, you actually meet them as adults first in the book. You don't meet them as kids. You meet them, the first time you meet every single one of the kids is them getting the phone call from Mike. Mm-hmm. That's the first mm-hmm. time you meet all of these characters. So, the and Stan is the very first one. Yeah. So we go from Georgie getting his arm ripped off, Adrian getting killed by the, the homophobes slash Pennywise, and then immediately the first thing that happens is Stanley gets a call, is Stanley gets a call from Mikey and kills himself. And us, huh. introduced to these characters, have no idea why this man killed himself and why he wrote it in his blood on the yeah. wall. Which they did. Because I didn't see They that. didn't do it in this one. They did in the they miniseries. Did. In, there's, when, when Beverly has a little flash, you see it. You see oh, it. Okay. Oh, I, I didn't see it. That. I know they okay. did it in the miniseries. It's, it's very like, short. I saw in the miniseries. Yeah, in the obviously. miniseries, they make a big point of it because yeah. it's what right. ends part one. So it's yeah. a very yeah. big moment. But like, but I'm saying like in the book, it's literally, you meet this guy named Stan Uris and you're like, okay, why is he important? Okay, um, him and his wife are trying really hard to have kids, and they can't. And doc, they go to doctors, they do all the fertility tests, and there's no medical reason why they shouldn't be able to conceive. And it's kind of baffling to them. And so, yeah. And we later come to find out that it's Pennywise's kind of curse on them. They, they're all successful, but they can't... Right. The, the idea is he doesn't want another generation to ever come back. Right. He he wants them to stay. He makes them successful. Richie becomes a successful comedian. Stanley becomes, I think, an accountant. And 
Bill, like Chris mentioned when we were off air, mentioned like he's basically Stephen King. And Bev's a fashion designer. Yeah. So they're all wildly successful to keep them far away from Derry. And as further insurance, he makes them sterile. They can't have children. Hmm. Um, to go back to, um, hey, we're talking about Mike. Yes. I had a massive issue with Mike in the first chapter. Um, they nerfed him. Yeah, they nerfed the living fuck out of him. Um, I feel like they did some good with Mike and some bad with Mike in this one. Well, um, they they did give him the idea that Mike is the one that stays in Derry. Yeah. He's the one that has now compiled all of this. Mm-hmm. But they kind of make him into a bit of a psycho. Um, that that I don't think he ever was in the book or in this. In all this stuff, he's he's more like noir detective style, where mm-hmm. he's very focused on what he needs to do. Not so much emotional. He never lies to the group. He never pulls this shit that, like, he pulls in, in the, the movie. movie. Um, with the ritual of Chud, which they Chewed. did. Chewed. Which it they a lot. They, they call it Chud in the movie. They call it Chud in the movie, okay? Not to be confused with the film C, period, H, period, U, period, D, period. Which is a true. fantastic <laughs> 80s romp. Gremlins on acid. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so... um, Hey, romp. Yeah, but... Maybe this was a fever dream. Maybe I misremembered this, but does anyone remember the first trailer for Chapter 2 that they put out? Because it portrayed Mike as an investigative journalist of sorts. They they had a scene where he went to, like, a... A A crime scene. And they just didn't put that in there. I, yeah, so I was surprised well, when he was also, just randomly wandering around at night getting around police tape, just poking around. And well, they also library. had a scene in one of the trailers that was, um, your daddy always wanted to do this to you. That was not in the movie. What's the context? It's the, the creature mm-hmm. that, that that goes in the house to. The old lady? Yeah, that says in one of the trailers, your daddy always wanted to do this to you. Oh, wow. That was not in the movie either. That's right. Because we discussed that, the idea that, like, Bev's greatest fear is the fact that her she thought her dad wanted to rape her. But her dad never does, and they had a scene in one of the trailers that said, your daddy never touched you, but he always wanted to. I no, assume he always did touch no, her. No, no, that's, that's from the, in the book. In the, I, I thought it was in one of the trailers, too. I don't, I don't think it was. I don't remember that anyway, because in the movie, it seems pretty explicitly clear that he's touched her or raped her. She's become a surrogate for his dead wife. That scene... That was weird. Yeah, yeah. That seems pretty it clear. It seems pretty explicit. I mean, he makes her the, wear the perfume, and he's sniffing his wife's clothing of whatever... Like her scarf or something. Something. Hopefully we hope not. it's and scarf. And, and, hug, and hugging her, and that is the least creepy scene between the two of them of across both films yeah. honestly but um, it's, but, yeah you know, it's, but, but they they have mike be very manic in the film yeah he he kind of borders on kind of like almost schizophrenic kind of i took an acid trip and it still hasn't worn off yeah like mm-hmm. he, he he does seem a little bit like paranoid schizophrenic in the movie at times well what? and of all the characters to to stay in Derry. 
You take the one guy who had lost his entire family and is ostracized by the community for it, would be the first to leave town, not the last to leave town. And it would have made more sense if they would have portrayed Mike originally as the historian. Yeah, but, instead, right. but instead they gave it to Ben. Ben, mm-hmm. yes, which because confused we, the hell out of me. We have the conversation in it, part one yeah. of any interesting character points, you must give them to the white straight males. Which they also did with fucking Stan, or Eddie in this film. Uh, Eddie is the one that makes the blow towards Pennywise. Well, he does in the book, to be fair. He uses his aerosol, but it's Bev that shoots him. It's With the, the slingshot in the book in part one. And in part two. No, in... In part two, Bev's still the one that finds it and shoots him. But what I'm saying is, Eddie... In, in he uses his inhaler. Yeah, he uses his inhaler. He never... But it's acid, yeah. He never... This is battery acid, you slime, yeah. But he still never physically does a, a aggressive fighting act towards Pennywise. In it's, the book, yes, he does. Besides the inhaler? No, but the point no, is... No, but I'm saying it's a difference between spraying something with an inhaler and javeling them. With the, well, with the slingshot. But my point is... The inhaler hurts it, and it and even in the book in part two, er, when they're grown ups and they fight it, he he uses the the inhaler on him in their kids, and then he does it again as an adult. And when he does it as the adult, that's what gets him killed, just like they did in the movie. Yeah, but I'm not I'm not disagreeing with that. But what I'm saying is that first attack is it hits it's Bev's. It it kind of bothers me because I feel like. Bev has that scene with the mirror when he's carving into Ben. Yeah. Yes. Where she mm-hmm. destroys that. And Mike does have the knowledge of Chud and stuff like that. Right. But the end of the film, instead of Mike being the one who is an active force in it, he kind of messes up and has to leave it towards other people. Bev, who's been the fighter, gives the, like, Run. poker. Yeah. To... Eddie, and it, it, it just, it feels like they took what happened after part one and were like, oh yeah, we kind of nerfed the girl and the black guy. Let's make it a little bit better. But it felt almost, um, pandering? So, well, but to be fair, in It Chapter One, that poker, Beverly's the one who stabs it through Pennywise's head. Am I right? Yeah. Am I yes. remembering that right? Yeah. So... In a way, that kind of takes place of this since they don't make the slingshot a thing because it's a subplot and it's not really necessary. They give her the stabbing him through the head with the with the yeah. They rock do give her that. As, right, and it's, it's kind of the replacement of that, and her bequeathing it to Eddie because Eddie is the most terrified. afraid. Yeah, it's her literally being like, "I strength. believe in you. Like you believe in this." I believe it's not. It's not that they're taking anything away from her. It's in a way, she's she's so strong. She's empowering a weaker character by giving him this weapon. I I can see where you're coming from. I'd like your opinion on it, Ash. I honestly like. I I think I kind of agree with him on that. Just because, like, obviously in the first one, yeah, she, you know, stabs him, stabs in the, face. him in the face with with poker, and he gets all melty like, face. By the way, I still really face. want that pop. Melty face pop? <laughs> the, the the pop of Pennywise with the poker stab through his face. Ugh. Is it a poke or a fence post? I thought it was a fence, fence post. Fence post. 
Is it? I, I thought it was a fireplace. It's a fence post. Yeah. Oh, yeah it's, it's one of the best ones that goes up and then has like oh, a right. You're yard. Right. You're right. You're right. It's why it's okay. in the front yard. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Um, but yeah, so she has that moment of like, I'm going to fucking kill this thing. And then, you know, she sees that. Brit- He's uh, so scared. That, yeah, that yeah. he is so scared. Yeah. Um, that she's like, you know what? You got this. You got this. And she says, this kills monsters, if yeah. you believe it. No, yeah. She's literally, she's literally bequeathing her power to him because he needs it. Yeah. Right. She's, <laughs> she's brave enough. She's going to go in there and face it, but See, he's I, not. I, I no, exactly. And they know that everyone has to go in there. Sorry. Uh, everyone uh, has to go in there together, and everyone has to be strong. If anyone backs out or anyone goes in and, worst case, is faulty in their resolve, which is why you the, get the they're all die. So she sees that. She's the strongest and she knows it and she, she does exactly what Josh says. She gives him... Uh, she well, gives him a power. She gives him a placebo. Even, yeah, yeah, I was just going to say that exact so to word. Tie that, it's to tie it's that very placebo yes, effect. Because yeah. Pennywise even calls it out. It's a placebo. But she just... I need you strong in your resolve, confident to get in there and get down there so we can do what, we, what Mike has told us is the right thing to do and let's see how it goes. <laughs> but if you... If you falter at any point, we're all dead. You need to be confident. And he is, to a fault. He, and, and for a moment, he believes, and the audience believes, and the cast believes, he's he's won the day. Also, um, like, for me, I get that, but I also just think, like, I, I have to say, from, like, the point of view of the book and stuff like this, I guess I might be a little tied to the book aspect of Bev being the fighter that like it's a little bothersome also just to bring it back to an earlier topic about the idea of um Eddie and Richie Mm -hmm. and the idea of Richie being in love with Eddie and all this stuff um Eddie doesn't ever show bravery until Richie's taken that's true. When he sees Richie in the deadlights, that's what makes mm. him Because if you think about it, attack. Eddie he throws can't it into the mouth, fight yeah. that's a very good point, yeah. ever. And then Richie goes out and he's like, fuck you, fuck you, and then gets grabbed and is floating. And that's the single only moment throughout the entire, both chapters, you ever see Richie, or Eddie... Be aggressive. And while I'm not saying Eddie ever romantically loved Richie, I feel like but I, it, it was his best friend. And it's yeah. that moment that your best friend, the person that's protected you and saved you, can't do anything. It's that ultimate moment of bravery. And I think that's an, a really interesting point because, as we've already mentioned, um, Eddie obviously lived under his mother's thumb, hypochondriac because he didn't know anything else. And as he grew with the losers, he suddenly started to realize very slowly that maybe these fears, these weaknesses I have aren't real. They're fabricated. And he started to get away from that. But as an adult, once he left Derry, he didn't have a support group. He fell back into those bad habits. He fell back into, I'm a hypochondriac, I'm back on the inhaler, I, I marry my, quite literally my mother, and all of this stuff. Um, and literally seeing but, your, your, the fear and the reality of your best friend being taken. Right. Imagine, yeah. imagine Eddie, if, let's say all of the losers had moved together, just even like, we're all moving to New York, all together, all seven of us, together. Imagine the person Eddie would have been if he had a support group 
and all of his memories of being like, we're, we're strong, stronger together and I'm strong as an individual and he wouldn't have been that person. Imagine the person he would have been. Yeah. Um, he would have been completely different. I, I think... Um, I think it was seeing Richie at uh, a vulnerable point where he might die, I might lose him. It's not... It, it, maybe it's about romance. Maybe it's not. But the point is, it's like... Uh, you know, I have... What I've been told is the only weapon we have in my hands, and I've been told, I just need to believe. And this is a guy that, if you think about it, in the worst possible way, believes everything. I believe everything around me will kill me. I believe everything... What if I make that positive? I believe everything in my hand is a weapon. I believe I'm invincible. If he had said, I believe with every heart in my... You know, every fiber of my being, I can't die, I don't know that Pennywise could have touched him. Yeah. This is this is a guy who's slowly realizing the power of belief, which was a key to the end of that movie. Was it's all Wait. about belief. It's 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 the power of that psychic energy of you. you oh yeah. Yeah. Um and like I, I go back to it. Um like it goes back to like uh you know we do our moose and squirrel pose. Mm-hmm. Constantly. Yeah. It's uh everyone on the podcast is seeing these photos, and the reason I feel like we we connect so hard with the Dean and Sam characters is Dean Sam in his core in terms of like almost Eddie and Richie yeah Sam is an Eddie he doesn't believe himself he's scared of everything he doesn't want to do this Richie is bravado and gusto and this while he feels deeper well he feels so much deeper but if you look at everything in like Supernatural to kind of make the correlation Sam never does anything without Dean being a part. And Dean never does anything without it kind of being for Sam. Yeah. This idea of, like, I can do the bravest, craziest, most insane shit for you. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I honestly, that's one of the reasons why I really liked that scene, is... Because, you know, like, I know that both you and I would, if you were in the deadlights and I was absolutely fucking terrified of the giant fucking spider clown that is it. That was a weird one. <laughs> I, Not I, as weird as the miniseries version, though. We'll get into that in a second. Um, but... I was gonna say, I'm frothing at the mouth to talk about that. <laughs> I, you know, I have legit, like, I am fearful of clowns, I am fearful of spiders, if both Welcome to Ash hitting you a bunch of times in the middle of the night, Chris, when she has nightmares. How do you feel about spider clowns? Fuck that. How about clown spiders? <laughs> no. Clownfish? Clownfish are adorable. What if they have a smaller fin on one side? Oh. And they're missing. Nemo. Um, but I have, like, you know, like, if I was in that situation, if I was, um, Eddie in that situation, yes, I'd be fucking terrified, but I would definitely look at that fence post and be like, I'm going to save you, Ella. Fuck that stupid goddamn spider clown! Aww. Ash will defeat an evil spider clown. Well, spider thing and hopefully not get stabbed through the chest. Yeah, yeah. let's avoid that part. Uh, yeah. But but I feel like that that was such a culmination of the, the good part. And what that film is really, really about that I feel like uh, in this film it captured much more than the miniseries. And I... I 
even say much more than chapter one. Yeah. Is this idea of, of familiar. Is family without blood. Um, like, you know, Ash, I will do most things legal, un- illegal, <laughs> moral, and some things that even would make, like, old school Satanists be scared of. Uh, if, Satanists if it, are not bad people, Pam. I'm saying old school Satanists. Okay. I'm not bad. saying the new school Satanists. I'm saying the old school, like, we sacrifice the virgins. Yes, that, okay, I get you. Um, I would do most of those things to make sure that you are safe. Uh, I think that's such a big part about this is the ideas of your bravery doesn't have to come from you, but what you will do for others. Yeah. Like, I don't have to be brave. And I mean, like, this is, this is a huge thing I experience. I can be absolutely terrified of things, but if I know I got, like, you and Josh and Chris and Daisy at my back, like, I fucking got this. And that's a really powerful feeling. Um, I'm, I'm going to turn the mic over to, to Josh because I know you are foaming to discuss. You should wipe that off. <laughs> Here, let, me get, um, let me get you a hanky. Hold on. The awkward part is it's not coming from his mouth. Um, you know, right. let, let's let's start off. Let's save it itself. No, the no, very don't end. save it. Kill it. Kill let's discuss Chud. Or chewed, or however you pronounce it. So let's discuss the... Uh, the ritual that is chewed. The ritual that is chewed. So, Steve. <laughs> the ritual that is Steve. So I have many, many, many feelings about this part. Can you sum it up in four hours? No. <laughs> um, damn it. Stay tuned, viewers. <laughs> but uh, when they first mentioned it, uh, Ella can tell you when when they first say the words... I, like, hit her arms, and I was like, yeah, yeah, we're getting into it, yes. I was very excited. Um, He's very excitable. I'm very excitable when it comes to things I love. And, um, <laughs> yeah, baby. But, um. Am I not allowed to laugh at that? No, no, you're allowed. How was he? He was very vigorous father. <laughs> oh, God, the phrase, he was very vigorous father, should never be said by anyone, it's, anywhere, at it's any from time. from the Mask of Zorro. Mask of Zorro. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Catherine that makes... Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah, I got you, bro. I got the All right. Bro fist. But, uh... Okay, that makes me feel a little less absolutely dirty. Antonio Banderas, Catherine Zeta-Jones. But they, they made it... It was... They definitely made it more, more... More of a ritual in the movie. Where it was like, we have this urn, and we have to have totems, and we have to stand around it in a circle. And it feels very, uh... Well, ritualistic. Yeah, very ritualistic. Very whereas, rigid. Whereas in the book, first of all, they find, they find out about the ritual of Chewed when they're kids. They basic, it's like a peyote trip. Yeah, they basically go on a peyote trip and they see it land in Derry, Maine. And they're like, oh, and Ash, Ash, guess who spits out Pennywise? Guess, because your favorite spits, thing. Spits out Pennywise? Yeah, what, what created Pennywise, Ash? The turtle. Yes, Ashley. Would you like to go into the turtle? Ashley loves the turtle. It's her favorite thing. Well, no. The turtle didn't create Pennywise. The turtle created the universe. Pennywise already existed. It existed 
with no, the turtle. I totally fucked that up then in the first episode. <laughs> yes, you did. And um, I listened to it, and I was just, like, kind of chomping at the bit. But it's okay. Hmm. It's okay, because it's in the past. Wow, we, we have, like, a full king expert on us right it's now. A, mm-hmm. it, it's a correction episode. Yeah. This is the redacted episode. <laughs> uh, I apologize for anything I told anyone in It Chapter 1. I am wrong. I will get spankings later. Yes, you will. But anyway. Wow, so, that took a turn. So, in the beginning of time, basically, like, and it all fits within the King multiverse. And what you guys were talking about with The Shining actually does work with within the King multiverse. Cause there Ooh, are, we did something right. Because hmm. there are instances of people having, quote-unquote, The Shining in other King works. Hearts in Atlantis, Insomnia, uh, lots of other stories have people who have The Shining. Um, so it actually would make kind of logical sense for like Beverly to have some kind of shine shine you know that that all works okay but so you have the turtle who's this cosmic entity who's basically god who belches god. Yeah, who belches the oh, universe yeah. into existence the second writer to have a turtle god it's yeah it's a pretty common creation myth yeah the world, uh, world sitting on the back of the turtle a lot pretty, of Mesopotamian cultures yeah. and, and Aztecs and yeah mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Josh, uh, you and I were talking, uh, before we started recording in a, uh, again, outsider here on, you know, I've read some King, not a lot of King, but as far as the representation in the movies, um, the, the turtle, uh, is more of a, not a biblical God, if you will, or even a, like a deity that defers to a people. It's more just a, I, I've created something and I've left. And More um, like Titus, like a giant god that just kind of goes around doing shit and right, doesn't really care. Exactly. I, I if it, if this is creation, it is not. If that creation is life, that's too binary. It's just creation. It is not death. It's the antithesis of creation. It's entropy. It's antithesis. Yeah. It's an ending. If that's a beginning, this is an ending kind yeah. of thing. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's, the turtle is light. The it is darkness. Well, well, that's an interesting point. Of, I want to the, the well, because de- they do the whole thing of in to take out light to darkness, which I thought was weird. Well, that's just why I want to hear what yeah, Josh has to say just because about the light there needs to be darkness or whatever yeah. the chant is. Exactly. So with the, the yeah, that's that's a great point. But like with the dead lights, it's almost more of like a tool that it uses. Um, like an anglerfish. Kind of. <laughs> I don't know yes. why. Um, it no, is it's an anglerfish. All ac- right. Accurate. Like, terrifying. Because it, when he... My niece loves them. Part... One of the reasons That's why it is, is, like, my favorite Stephen King book is because at the end, when we finally get to The Ritual of Jude, which is the entire last part of the book is called The Ritual of Jude. Okay. And that's the part where it's the kids fighting it and the adults fighting it simultaneously. Uh, can I ask one question? Because I haven't read the book. Mm-hmm. I've read parts of it. I haven't. Or I read it, I think, in middle school. But it's Long big. time ago. Um, is the child sex part of Jude? No, it's not. 
Okay, okay. just checking, because if at least it was part of the ritual, I could give Stephen King some reason for that scene. No, it's it's hard to explain the child sex thing, because I remember that scene, and I remember being very it, confused. It's, it's, it's more a way of, like, connecting, connecting them childhood all. to adulthood. It's more a way of, like, connecting them all. They connecting all have them all, this thing. And, and perceiving that, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, but, um... They're trying to... They see he has power over children or the weak-minded, and they feel like ha- having sex is their easy gateway into adulthood. Is that right? No, it's... Like I said, it's weird. And I'm sure Stephen, we'll King, will, Stephen King will be the first one to admit it, I'm sure. But and like, he, he, he actually if has. If he could redact that scene from he the would. book, he would. Yeah. I, I kind of wish he had. But, like, uh, but no, it's after they've killed Pennywise... Or thought they've killed Pennywise. Literally... The memories, like you know, like that, the whole how memory is a huge theme with it, right? Mm-hmm. People forgetting yep. and remembering and forgetting and remembering. They literally are forgetting how to get out of the sewers after they fight Pennywise the first time and they beat him, or they they quote unquote mm-hmm. beat him. Cujo's angry. At this yeah, Cujo's conscience. angry at this because mm-hmm. I'm not talking about him. I have a baseball bat I can shove into your face later. Anyway, but like basically, like they they're forgetting. They're forgetting their way out, and then Beverly kind of is like, "This will keep us together. This like kind of like binds us. Like it's it's a whole thing, and it it makes sense in a vacuum of the story. But when you look at it without any of the, all the context, it's just weird and creepy. And even in the context of the story, it's still a little weird and creepy. But like." They're also like thirteen-year-olds that have just defeated a giant evil clown monster. Yeah, so like we're they're not right. making the best life choices. So we'll get a pass. We'll get six pass. six fine. boys and one girl. Yeah, defeating a giant evil clown monster. What I could have no, done. I mean more the orgy side of things. It's a little bukkake. What I could have done without is Stephen just... King literally like from Beverly's point of view like described each of their dicks as it enters her, and it's that that could have done. Did he that. really do that? He says like, "Oh, he's big. Oh, oh he's bigger God. than this one." Or like, oh, and then like... Note ben, to self, not reading this one. And, yeah. ben, and like, Ben comes and the other one don't. And or at get, least like, it's, it's, skipping this part of the scene. Yeah. When you get to the little thing, it's written all in italics and it says... Oh, wait, wait. I don't want to know which characters are described as the little thing, but I just... Hmm. that. When you get to the part that's like in italics and it says, I think it's like love and desire or something. Just skip. Just skip that. Just skip it. Just done. Skip it. Done and done. But like that's not part of the ritual. Like so the ritual is a lot weirder in the book, and they trip they trip balls, and they see it land, and they learn about this ritual. Where in the ritual, it's basically described that the two combatants, whoever you're fighting, you have to bite the other one's tongue, and tell knock knock jokes. Essentially, I'm not making this up. I wish I was. What? And um, Stephen King, if you're listening, whoever your dealer was in 19. 19- Oxycontin. He was doing a lot uh, of drugs. Please hit us up at, <laughs> at Ella Evella. <laughs> um, but like, it is, this was uh, after his his accident. So this no, 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 no. This oxy. was way well before the accident. Oh, then damn. This is <laughs> this is just in the eighties when he was on a lot of drugs. <laughs> well, it was the eighties, and he was so, making okay, a lot of money. It was before yeah. he got clean. Basically, this is before he got clean. Which, I know we talk about Stephen King having a lot of, like, writing unhealthy relationships, but him and his wife have a great relationship. We talked yeah. about this and in Carrie, the fact wonderful. that his, his wife sta- saved the book Carrie. Saved the book Carrie. She got him off drugs. She only took um, a sledgehammer to his ankles once. Yeah, it was just once. 
And it made and it made. I'm for, sorry. After this many drugs and, and apparently a, a child movie. orgy scene, I might take a sledgehammer to one of Josh's ankles. Mm-hmm. Man, if he rebounds and he does good work, then that works. That's what matters. But like, so, so that's it's metaphorical, like the whole tongue biting thing. And basically, they do the rich. They do a version of the ritual when they're kids. Which we didn't see at all in chapter one because mm-hmm. it's a lot to get into. Or in the miniseries. Or in the miniseries, they don't mention the ritual at all in the miniseries. Yeah, no, no. not Which at is, all. It's just the the iron things. Yeah, the silver. The silver. Mm-hmm. Silver, yeah, because it's pure and werewolf myth mythos and shit. Yeah, they they really yeah. oversimplified things there. Yeah, but like so, but as a kid, Bill does the ritual and he basically fights. Pennywise, and he metaphorically bites Pennywise's tongue during the ritual. And I have a question. How do you metaphorically bite someone's basically tongue? Basically, he astral projects. Mm. To put it simply, when That's Bill, a simple answer? When Bill and and it become embroiled in their in their fight in the ritual, they bath, they're both basically existing in the astral plane where it exists as the deadlights. And Bill has a chat with the turtle. Bill talks to the turtle. Yeah, you in mentioned the book. that in season yeah. one. You know the end of uh, Doctor Strange, where he just keeps rewinding time to fight Dormammu. It's, it's kind of like that. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's kind of like that. I mean, that's the astral plane. Yeah, but it's a lot less ritualistic than as they depict it in the in the movie. And then, of course, when they're adults and they go back into it, they they're doing they're trying to do the same thing, but it doesn't work out as well. Uh, Bill doesn't reach the turtle. He screams out at one point, "Oh my God, the turtle's dead! We're fucked!" Holy like, shit! Like all this, like all this shit. Like things go sideways, and that's when Eddie shows up with the uh, with the inhaler. Inhaler. This mm-hmm. is a battery acid, you son of a bitch. Right. Yeah, it's either you son of a bitch or you fucker or something. It's not yeah. you slime. That's what they changed it to in the TV movie because they couldn't curse. But um, yeah. Go, sorry, Chris. You had something. I, I was well. Hearing all of this, I, what I'm not hearing is inclusion of the Native American tribe. That is oh, a, no, 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 no. It, it totally is like a Native okay. American, like, peyote trip. Okay, do. because that yeah. was a key, key point in the film. Yeah, it's, it's they, a... They, like, they literally... Mike sh- talks about, and they show a flashback to him going to their reservation and, and no, going on a spirit with journey it. with them, and then he openly admits after the fact, stealing an artifact from their reservation yes. for yep. their version of the... the Ritual of Chud. Yeah, it's a little problematic that Mike's stealing shit from the indigenous people. I mean, he doesn't admit it right away. It takes like his, two or three tries. And then drugging his friend with that same. Uh, it, it was rude. He <laughs> drugged his best friend. Right, it was water. And it, did you, did you drug me? And, and Ben <laughs> winces like when he drinks the water. After. I noticed that right away. Ben winces when he drinks the water, and then it's like another 90 second beat before something's wrong with what I just drank. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's Ash when I make her up. A- Ella drink. Yeah. Yikes. Where I'm like, Yikes. did you make me Ella drink? Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, but so, I know... The, the ritual is so much different. I, I appreciate the fact that they included some form of ritual because, honestly, how else are you going to stop a fucking demigod, which is essentially what it is? Silver things? Yeah, like, other than some other worldly shit. But... The, but, the, the squeezing of its heart was an interesting. Mm, I, that's how they mm, kill it in the book. I will say, um, I, 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 logically, logically, I understand what they did, 
But oh my god, that ending visual effect was fucking stupid. Which one? The flattened Pennywise. Uh, the yeah. deflated pancake? Yeah, well, the deflating pancake with the three arms flapping. Um, like, I, I get it. I understand what they were trying to go for the idea of the the more and more you insult it and you belittle it, the weaker and more like physically deflated it gets. But to to have this monstrous, terrifying creature go out like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Well, essentially, they bullied it to death. Yes. And it looked like a Looney Tunes <laughs> no, cartoon. Is, they that, did. They bullied it to death. I mean, they told you're, it you're, wasn't You're both right. Enough. You're both right, yeah. Uh, and, and I will say that is my biggest issue with this film is that finale. Is it felt so anti-climb. It reminded me, um, I think I've discussed this once or twice on the, on the podcast, of The Boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was this great film. The first two thirds of it were terrifying and creepy. It was when I told you that had the creepy dog thing that mm-hmm. like came out of there. Yeah, and it was great. And then the last third of it was, and I I love Doug Jones. We love Doug Jones. Doug mm-hmm. Jones is great. But when you had just Doug Jones. oh, you mean the Bye Bye Man, not the Boogeyman? Oh yeah, the Bye Bye Man. But when you for had... a second I was like, really the Boogeyman? The Boogeyman but was when you, but when you awful. just see Doug Jones. With not a whole lot of makeup and a cloak. The whole time you're just like, hey Doug, what's up? That's the last third of that film. Mm. That's the monster. It's just Doug Jones and like a Halloween city cloak. <laughs> that it. And you were just like, really? You, you The, the build up and the terror. And the, you were a giant spider clown with claws. And now you look like that one cartoon I saw where Elmer Fudd got left out in Arizona. <laughs> so, Ash, mm-hmm. you, we were we we were chatting a little bit earlier about the the forms, like yeah, the it forms. Um, what what were your thoughts on the the multitude the multitude of forms that so, that final boss battle took? I mean. Honestly, because it, it even goes back to, like, the very first thing that, it goes, it even goes into, um, Stanley's form. Like, his fear. Mm. The old lady in the painting, even. Yeah. Oh, the, the warped Jew yeah. painting. Yeah, mm-hmm. the warped Jew painting. Um. Sorry. Warped Jew painting. <laughs> was a thing. That's that what we called it. It's what we called it. The warped Jew painting. But yeah, like, watching him retake all of those forms, also in the spider, like, on the spider oh, body. Oh, doing the face thing. It was just the faces. It was kind of weird to see. Like, it was just kind of weird. Like, it didn't fit. But, like, going back to all, like, you know, all of its various forms, even from chapter one. Oh, I'm curious, Ash, for you, did it, because we've, we've had this discussion, you've probably been the biggest advocate of practical makeup on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, at certain times, I I do love a good CG. Yeah. Uh, For you, did you feel like they overused CG in this film? A little bit, yeah. Okay. There wasn't wasn't that much practical effects with makeup on this one, and I was a little, like, "Mm." So, for you, like, what was kind of the issues with... Because... 
I know, like, my one big issue was the CG in the... I didn't mind the giant clown spider. I actually kind of enjoyed a spider with ruffles. Mm Mm-hmm. That is a phrase I never thought I'd say in my life. A spider with ruffles is great. I mean, Uh, everyone's got their kinks. Yeah, that's that's a new one for me. I'm going to find a little spider and put a little ruffle on it. Uh, But the head transformation at the end, Mm -hmm. it it felt a little 80s. It did. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Because it it just felt like, oh, now we're sieging all of its different forms just on the head. Uh, did you ever watch 13 Ghosts? Mm-mm. Does anybody really? hear? Yeah, oh, I love 13... Right, so, so well, remember... I won't say I love 13 Ghosts. It's I, a guilty pleasure. Ex- that I is love the best 13 way, Ghosts. Best way to describe it. You would it love it. It is not good, but it is fun. You will love it, Ash, and you will also want to cosplay as the Twisted Princess. Okay. Uh, and That's any... the, the one I'm thinking of, that Twisted Princess is in the naked one, right? That's the homecoming queen. Uh, or a supermodel or something. The the thing that gets me there's about that There's a naked film. one, and then there's a one that's a homecoming queen. But it reminded me of the scene from 13 Ghosts where it was flipping mm. at the very end when the, the yeah, machine so the, the, the was working. The roulette working. wheel or whatever. Yeah, yeah when yeah. it was going really quickly through the Jekyll and the Hound yeah, and the body yeah, and yeah, the yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, it was that very quick kind of abrupt CGI effect. I felt like that... Um, I, I felt like they did some really good CGI effects. Um, the the plague creature they did again, which uh, was also uh, you you mean the the leper? The leper. Yes. I'm trying to remember his name. It's it's from Lights Out, not Lights Out. Uh... Oh, um, not Doug Jones, but I don't know what Javier you're... Botet. Thank you. Oh, uh, the, oh, the actor. Yeah. The the plague monster, which was once again played by Javier Botet. <laughs> we got to get him back, that, that, that amazing man. Uh, was really, really good, but I feel like the, the issue is is they did more CG in this film, mixed with those really great practical effects they had. Yeah. So, like, um, in the, the scene that, like, I legitimately, we, we got to the the old lady's house and I reached over and I lost something in my hand for about 45 seconds because Ash was just <laughs> death gripped on it. Right. Um, but you loved, you were so excited for that scene because the, the old lady creepy. Mm-hmm. But then when she turned into that weird CG thing, it, for me, it felt so pulled. Yeah, I feel like, because well, I feel like with the trailer... It didn't feel that way. With the trailer, you got more of, like, I'm the creepy old lady. Well, the, I feel like as soon as you you make something super CG and you make it not just, not just otherworldly, but also, like, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Me- like measurement wise, like when she's like she's she's obviously really tall, exaggerated, exaggerated. Uh, when you get the schematics all fucked up and things like that, like it 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 jostles you in not a good way. Well, we and, we discussed that on the podcast. That's that's my favorite form of horror. Yeah, is uh, the body dysmorphia. Is body dysmorphia? Yeah, but she already had that. 
But that was the issue, is, is when you're showing an actual human showing body dysmorphia, either by, like, physical effects of, like, how Bill Skarsgård can move his eyes in an sure, opposite way, yeah. or the fact, like, Javier Botet is double-jointed in every way, and he can be really creepy, and you're showing that, and then you show it on a CG... So the CG just it can't it can't give me fear. Well, so so there's a a well known um, uh, scenario where um, when dealing with CG, where you're crafting something from scratch and it's meant to meant to mimic a real life human being, you fall into what's called the uncanny 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 valley. Uncanny valley, yeah. Yes. So when you're dealing with mixing, so that that applies when you're crafting something from scratch. You're trying to make someone. Who looks perfectly human and realistic from scratch where they look very real but there's a margin of error where people know god that looks so real but it looks off and it could be pixel perfect accurate but all it takes is a smirk is off a nose twitches off when they sneeze they blink wrong and your brain just goes this is now a, an arithmetic problem there's something off. I want to solve this problem. And now you'll never look at, at that as human. This is different because we have actors, live actors, playing these characters, even under heavy makeup. And in the case of Skarsgård, so with the Uncanny Valley, um, even when you have somebody on screen with heavy makeup, um, you still know because you only know them in the scenario of this film in that context mm-hmm. where the moment you go full CG... Unless it is pixel perfect and is not expanding too far beyond the realms of reason, where you might squint, your brain will fill in the gaps and just assume, oh, that's okay. Versus, you know, the moment Skarsgård's head, his jaw extends over the back of his head and the deadlights are there, and he's just got 30 rows of teeth, then your brain still goes, that's that's an effect it's okay but it's still within the realms of the scene yeah they well, didn't cut to a cg it was real and then it wasn't real if you look at it uh, even if it was mama ne- yes mama's mama, a good example uh, they elongate his face in certain things the hair is cg certain part about the costume are cg but there is not a single scene in mama that i don't take mama being real right because they, they don't fully ever take her from live action to full CG. It's always augmented. A, an sure. augmented thing. But to the example that, that you, Ella, and you, Ash, brought up earlier, the, the elder woman with Pennywise, because he's under heavy grease paint, he's, he's already unreal to look at. Mm-hmm. Adding CG is easier to stomach than a woman who is not under heavy makeup, and suddenly the next time you see her... She's doing unrealistic things. Her body is stretching and growing. And yeah. you go, that looks incredibly unrealistic. That's on top of the fact that they didn't do the best job of the lighting and the shadows. So it didn't match the lighting of the scene. It didn't feel like it lived in that sequence. But, By the way, for those of you that do not know, Chris works the video game field. Yes. So his knowledge. So, yes. My, my, I was about to say, I'd be like, we need to give like our listeners some backstory. Why Chris yeah, I won't give you knows the full, so much. I won't give you the full pedigree. I've worked in video games for 15 years, and then I worked in film for four years before that. 
I've got a we trust Chris and his knowledge. De- degree in digital effects. Um, this is what I do. But that is by no means to suggest I'm an expert. It's just this is what I picked up on. Yeah. There are ways where if you've built up, it, it's funny to say it, but if, if you build up with your audience a trust, they trust what they've been looking at for the last yeah, five that's, or that's six shots. Thing. Well, because the yes. weird thing is, as, believe, as much as I hated the old lady... Dear God, money down on the table. That Paul Bunyan was fucking but, terrifying. But, 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 to, no. to, but, but honestly, like to to kind of back up Chris's point, the Paul Bunyan is already a cartoonish it's already fake. thing. So yeah. when you see a Paul money. Bunyan animated with teeth, you you buy it. My favorite moments, as far as uh, and these were actually not CG effects; these were camera effects, editing effects, were. They did it multiple times with different sequences where in the background, mm-hmm. Pennywise acting as a different character is moving at a different pace. So if the film is displaying at, let's say, 60 frames per second, yeah. the character in the background who's now either stripped off all of their clothes or half of their face or whatever is moving in a way a human being wouldn't move at yeah. 120 frames per second. So like moving the little twice was speed. Just like skittering around yes. the background. Yeah. That stuff is unnerving because you know you were real one camera take ago and now you looked real until you moved. I believed you even within the shot until the moment you moved and I thought, holy shit, you're not normal anymore. That's what's freaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's that scene with the old lady or with that kind of stuff where uh, you, you get the feet or you get the heads and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I think that's that's what I do love about this movie is uh, like stuff like the Paul Bunyan or the old lady where it gives you that one second of normalcy mm-hmm. before it shits on you. <laughs> Yeah, the the Paul Bunyan sequence. Actually, it wasn't the Paul Bunyan himself. The thing that unnerved me was um, the entire town behind him who was celebrating. Frozen. They froze, yeah. and then they started to sway back and forth to the beat oh, of the and song. Oh, and Pennywise was singing, which suggested oh. either yeah. let, let's. It's easy to assume because it it turned out to be the case that Richie was hallucinating. Like this is a vision of fear. Mm-hmm. As soon as he told himself, "Shut my eyes, it's not real." It stopped being real. Yeah. But let's pretend for a moment that wasn't the case. The entire time, the entire time, the entire town, at a moment's notice, will do whatever. Imagine Pennywise snaps his fingers and says, I mean, they are basically controlled by 500 people of you or whatever. Yeah. Eat the the five people I want you to. Holy shit. You'd Mm -hmm. be fucked. So there's one thing I wanted to mention earlier. Um, You know, Ella, you mentioned when we were talking about, like, CG, practical effects, like all that stuff. You mentioned Bill Skarsgård's eyes. Yes. He, he apparently can move them in weird ways. Yeah. My random fact of randomness about... Um, <gasps> Were we in random fact of randomness corner? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, boys, uh, this is my favorite part of the podcast because she just tells me weird fucking facts and I get really I've, overly... I've, I've heard the podcast a few times. My nipples are erect. <laughs> so are mine. So, Bill Skarsgård was unaware that uh, or sorry, Bill Hader was unaware that Bill Skarsgård can actually move his eyes in two different directions. You should have just said Bill and Bill and let the audience figure out who. Right. <laughs> um, Hader asked Skarsgård what kind of editing was done to achieve that effect in the first film. Skarsgård, in full costume and makeup, responds with, Oh, you mean this? And doing it. 
causing Hater to freak the fuck out. And there are photos to document. There's the, yeah, yeah there, I, I saw the photos. There's a before yeah. and an after, yeah. Uh, uh, so do we have any other, just to, uh, mm-hmm. I, I know listeners, especially you, uh, Vic, are, get super excited over Ash's thing. <laughs> I'm guessing we, we got, we got quite a few fun little facts. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, this was actually Hater's first time acting in a horror film. He had struggled to act scared because his natural reaction to being scared was to smile nervously. <laughs> I, I, I feel that deeply because I feel like I get scared and giggle. There's um, a lot of gigglers in our theater when we saw it. It's a good self-defense mechanism. You make yourself as, as annoying as possible so the killer won't kill you. <laughs> well, okay, that's too annoying. I would still kill you. Yeah. Damn it. Too far. Yeah. It's a so, timeline. So I know we mentioned earlier that um, Finn Wolfhard had specifically picked... Yeah, um, Bill, Bill Hader to be Ricky, uh, older Richie Tozer. Which is so cool. And also picked the, probably the greatest and nerdiest stage name I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah. Finn he, Wolfhard. Yeah, he picked his own Wolf stage Hard. name. Wolfhard. H-A-R-D. Wolfhard. Yeah. How hard are you? I'm Wolfhard. <laughs> Finn Wolfhard. He sounds like, a, honestly, he would just be Finn Balor's, like, little brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A great I, I'm starting a James Bond fan fiction where I just renamed the main character as Finn Wolfhard instead of James Bond. <laughs> right. What's your name? Wolfhard. Finn, Finn Wolfhard. Wolfhard. Take a bikini, <laughs> shake and Um, So the other members of the Losers Club from It 2017 were asked who they wanted to play their adult parts. Ooh. Finn Wolfhard, Richie Tozer, said Bill Hader. Sophie Lillis, who played Beverly Marsh, said Jessica Chastain. Two for two. Um, Chosen Jacobs, who played Mike Holland, Han- Hanlon, sorry, said Chadwick Boseman. Ooh, Ooh good that choice, been Black good. Panther. Yep. That would have been good. I would not have minded that. <laughs> uh, not, not, not taking anything away from the guy who played Mike in the movie. He was no, he yeah. was phenomenal. No, I just yes. have a massive crush on Chadwick. Yes, yeah. he's Black Panther, of course you should. Oh, and, H- yeah. Hail the King. <laughs> uh... Jack Dylan Grazer, who played Eddie, said he wanted Jake Gyllenhaal to play him. Uh, well, that's a little that's a little reaching there, Eddie. Uh, I mean, oh. I'll have Jake Gyllenhaal play it, me in any movie. <laughs> it gets better. Oh, my. Oh. Uh, Wyatt Olaf, who played Stanley Uris, said Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Ooh. Ooh. I can nice actually choice. see that. Yeah. yeah. But I, I don't think Joseph Gordon- I know Jason being my nice Jew boy. I don't know if Joseph Gordon-Levitt would want to show up for one scene and then he slits his wrists, though. Yeah. yeah. I'd still be impressed. I agree. Uh, da, da, da. Jeremy Ray Taylor, who played Ben Haskam, said Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah. No. We went better. Yeah, we, yeah. we did better. Yeah, I'm we sorry. Did. I, I love I, Chris Pratt. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love my Chris Pratt. I loved him when he was fat, nerdy, adorable... And that's actually, why he wanted him. I, this is a, a terrible segue. I won't get into it. I'll just say someone started a thread. Someone who's a friend of this podcast. Who started a thread as to who should play if they were to say, I'm making a shiny remake. Who should be a Jack Torrance? It was Emily. It was Emily. It was yeah. Emily. And there, the, the consensus was Tom Hanks. No. <laughs> My guilty pleasure was... No. And I granted, I don't think he could do it, but was Chris Pratt. 
because I wanted to circumvent what the, the actor is capable of, and I really wanted them to twist their fan base as much as possible. So I thought, <clears throat> imagine Chris Pratt trying to murder his family in the darkest, serious possible way possible. Okay, so random pause. We'll get back to that. Mm-hmm. Everybody give your, off the top of your head, Chuck Torrance pick. All right, well, I gave Ooh. my first one, but now I'm going to really give it thought. That was my off the cuff. Okay. Jack Jack Torrance. You, you have the... all of, like, ten seconds to think about this. This is off the head, so I got mine. Ooh. All right, Chris? Off the cuff? Yep. Gun in my head? Yeah. I already named some, someone from the MCU, so that's where I was pulling from. Okay. Chris Evans. Ooh. Actually, oh. I'm going with Chris Pine. Ooh, I like that one too. Yeah. Oh, I, I like, like that. I feel I like, like the that. blue eyes can go creepy. I feel like the blue eyes can go really well, creepy. Well, and Pine has done creepy before. See, I like that. He's gone like a that. little bit psycho. He's gone a little bit psycho. I, I like... feel like I'd be down to see Pine go full crazy. It, he's got the range. He can easily do it. Sam go like Chris Pine. Pine. He's pretty enough, Here's... and he can go creepy. Okay, I'll get. I'll give you one more. If you do Pine, this is just. Okay. Little, little, little flutter of the heart here. He's got to grow a beard. Oh, yeah. Oh. Nicholson didn't have oh. a beard, but I think Pine... Pine with a full the beard. Turn. I want Pine, Pine with the beard. Pine with the beard would be good. A nice, like, uh, blonde beard. Yeah. So he starts no beard, but to show he's been in the, the overload mm-hmm. for a little while, he grows Absolutely. the beard. All right, what about you, Ash? I think I'm going to agree with Chris Pine. I got, Ooh, I got, okay. I got a Chris two, Pine uh, inductee. Mm-hmm. Josh? It's, it's so hard because I love I love The Shining so much, um, and I don't I don't particularly love the, the Kubrick. Okay, come on, come on, give me, give me. Ah, damn it! Why are you I'll, I'll be that guy. Spot? I prefer the movie over the book. The books and the okay, library. fine. We can although we can I, no longer be friends. That's good. I, I'll, I'll, like, I'll say, I'll trump that and say Stephen Weber in the miniseries is my favorite. He is good. Okay, that's because good. we get the topiary animals again. I love the topiary. Animals. Okay, Josh, uh, you got you got to give it. Ash, okay, Ash has gonna, more. Let's. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with another Oklahoma treasure. Okay, uh, James, of course, James Marston. Ooh, Ooh that's a good choice. I like that. Imagine, one. but imagine James Marston losing just, his shit, just like mm-hmm. starting starting with like that troubled, like, gosh, I'm trying so hard to make it work with my family that you know he could play so well, and then just. Fucking losing it, and then him getting to take out all that rage and frustration out of Cyclops getting killed in the first five fucking <laughs> seconds of X three. Yeah. I'm still pissed about it, and he is too. I guarantee you. Okay, I'm no longer on board. I'm, I'm out. I'm out already because he was in Man of Steel, so I'm already out. So, I've got two new ones coming off of Chris Pine. So, okay. number one, uh, first one, not number one. Okay. First one, not my first choice. Okay. Zachary Quinto. Ooh. But because my number one, Carl Urban. I'm down. Judge I'm... Dredd. Carl Urban. Aylmer. Billy Butcher and the Boys. I do love him in that. Mm-hmm. All right, let's finish uh, up. Yeah, our, Ash, uh, so what are the other ones? Uh, let's see. So we left off at... Uh, we did Ben. Yeah, Ben wanted him to be Chris Pratt. Uh, Jaden Martell, who played Bill, wanted uh, said Christian Bale. Far reaching and no, please God. No. <laughs> Obviously, Wolfhard. He's too busy gaining weight to play Dick Cheney. 
Yeah. yeah. All so right. Obviously, Wolfhart's and Lilith's choices were yep. the only two that ended up being cast. All right. What are the other interesting factoids? Um. um, um, um hmm. That one that was really good. Oh, something that we didn't mention. Um. So there was actually a cameo that we had forgotten to talk about. Oh fuck uh, yes! Oh, yes. good old king himself. The king himself. King and of kings. Jesus was in the movie. <laughs> yes. Which we mean by Jesus is Stephen King. It was honestly Stephen King's made a lot of cameos. This one was probably my favorite. He's made a lot of weird cameos. A lot of weird, weird cameos. He also directed a movie that we never speak of. Nope, we don't talk never, about nope, that nope, film. Nope, yeah. nope, 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 never. Um, another fact of randomness is Jay Ryan, who played Ben Haskam, used to work as a clown before his acting <laughs> career took off. <laughs> All right. I, I love it. That's, That's amazing. That's the best piece of news we've gotten all day today. Hmm. So, um, another small tie-in to the King-verse. Um, a license plate on the wall above the owner of the antique shop is CQB241. The same as a license plate in Christine, 1989. Oh. Oh. That's what we were just talking about. Yeah. We were talking about there would probably be, there was probably a shit ton of, can- of like, Easter eggs in there. We missed them. There's right. I I thought there would be like a, a like a Hot Wheels car that was like a '57 Bel Air cherry red. Oh, I, with that look on Ash's face, she's got more info for you. The owner also asks for three hundred for the bike. Yeah. The same amount that George LeBay initially offers to sell the car for. Oh, oh right. my God! Yes, that's right. You could tell me the smirk on Ash's face that she was like, <laughs> I know oh, something I have you don't no know. more knowledge. Hmm. Um, also, Jessica Tastain was considered for Beverly while the first film was still in production. She was also the first one to be officially cast. Oh, yeah, I think I she's that. perfect for it. She's yeah, great. she really she, was a good. She did a great job. Bev. Yeah. Any other random facts in the farmhouse? Oh, in the funhouse, the clown puppets that were swinging from the ceiling resemble Pennywise from the original miniseries, yeah. which we'd all like immediately we all, noticed. We all, all four and of us we're all like, also that that's movie. Tim Curry's laugh. I, I, I heard that too, and I thought, is that just in my head? Did see, I, make I didn't that pick up, up on not? the laugh, dude. I, okay, so it, not not Ella, later in the in the funhouse, but when they first see the clowns, you hear like a pa. Yeah, no. Okay, it sounds like yeah, Ellen and I picked up on that. Yeah. So did Josh, but yeah, it's not like Curry's laugh. Yeah, I, I told her that, too. I was like, mm-hmm. I, I honestly said, maybe I'm making this up. I think I heard his laugh. Maybe it's wishful yeah. thinking. Um, also, Idris Elba expressed interest in playing Mike prior to Isaiah Mustafa's casting. Oh, I just love Idris Elba so much. I that do, but he would, be, a... he would be way too old for the rest of the cast. Yeah. He would, he would you be could, way no, too old. You could dye his hair. Mm. He's it's great. And it's plus, not... the greatest thing about Idris Elba is, no man... Forever or Idris Elba is ageless, which also means he's not young anymore. <laughs> he's he's, pre- he's preeminently over forty, and then limitless beyond that. Yeah. All right. Ash. He'd be forty or four hundred. Aw, Seth Green, who played the young Richie in the miniseries Aww. It of ni- at ni- during nineteen ninety, expressed interest in playing the adult Richie in this film. Aww. 
Oh, that would have been really cool. Except he looks nothing like Finn Wolfhard. And yeah. he would have been, been terrible in this. Yeah, Bill Hader definitely. I think Bill Hader was definitely a the better right cast. Yeah. But it would have been interesting because, like, another one that I saw um, was fans of the miniseries suggested the actors make cameos into the movie, with the exceptions of Jonathan Brandis, young Bill, mm-hmm. and John Ritter, Ben yeah. Haskim. Also yeah. did. And yeah. Harry Anderson, who played Richie Tozer, as they've all passed away. Yeah. But, like, that's what I was kind of, like... So, like, I didn't recognize... Cool so, since let's, I didn't know what Stephen let's King... Let's bring back the cast, except the dead cast. Right. We can't bring them back. Um, and which, then we really don't bring them back, because sometimes that is better. <laughs> Wait. Tell me, Knockers. Um, originally, since I didn't know what Steve, what Stephen King looked like, because I haven't ever seen... I've, like, I think I looked up a picture of him once, because I did a Man Crush Monday on him before, like, when we first did um, our episode one for this season um the season of the king (laughs) um since i didn't know what he looked like i actually turned to chris during the film and i was like is that adult bill because i didn't know he died so i was like is that a like older adult bill josh and i were like smacking hands like child schoolgirl saying no meanwhile i'm like scouring all of the background going give me all of the like like easter eggs i want to see everything (laughs) Because the moment I saw his face, I was like, holy there, shit. The entire scene just has to be Easter eggs. Yeah. I'm still confident, because, again, I've only watched it once. Not only are there his Easter eggs, but there's Joe Hill Easter eggs in there somewhere. Yeah. It's probably uh, like a... a... Anyways, go on. Uh, let's go through our favorite film moments, and then we'll give scores. All right. Ooh, that's tough. Yeah. All right, let's start with you, Mr. Henry. Because normally we do our badass bitch moment, but like I don't feel like that's fair. So just your favorite moment of the film. Honestly? Mm-hmm. Probably Richie crying after Eddie died and them all coming to him. I, I got choked up. Oh, it was because, beautiful. Well, oh, because I love nice. I love the book so much, and I love the characters so much, and getting to see that moment of Richie really dealing with it, and regardless of all the this stuff is in they've the, added in the quarry, right at the end, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Regardless of all the the Richie Eddie stuff they added, and like all that stuff, regardless, me as a fan of the story, seeing a moment where Richie the character mourned his friend actually resonated with me so much and I, I got choked up and I, I, I cried I it, it meant a lot to me that, that, that goes back to the idea of like the film at the end being in, in so many ways so similar to uh, Stand By Me yeah of just another like, Stephen King work yeah in a great movie it, it's so you, you look at it and it's about this evil monster clown and all this stuff but to me, it's always been about that scene. It, it's Richie crying and everybody coming to hug him. It, it's about that, that bond. Yeah, that's what it's about. And honestly, that was probably my favorite part of the movie. Hmm. What about you, Chris? Wow, I'm going to have a weird one. Because um, I love the movie and I love the way the main characters are treated. But there was a particular sequence that I thought... For that character, I'm, I'm curious. Was now. was really well done, and I already cringe in saying which character it was, but it was 
Bowers. Bowers' moment where they introduce his flashback of returning home after having killed his father in chapter one and seeing a red balloon as he's being arrested by the sheriffs. It was an absolute tweak mentally. Well, and then we flash forward 27 years. He's been living in an insane asylum for 27 years and he sees a red balloon out the window and he loses his mind. And out of jubilation, he's just pure joy. It justifies everything he's experienced because he's not insane. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is crazy. He's not wrong. He's right. Which is terrifying. I mean, it's it's truly a terrifying moment if you take yourself out of his perspective. But the whole scene is his perspective. And it's this freedom and jubilation. And it's it's horrifying, but it's... It's really well shot and incredibly well acted. And it segues in, is amazing. It segues into an introduction to which is arguably my guilty pleasure for best character of the movie. <laughs> At first it was terrifying to me. It was like, oh god, which no, don't need it. I loved him, I did. A, a a zombified version of a character who died in the first movie. <laughs> zombie Hotstetter. He was great. Yeah. Weird he zombie. literally drives a Trans Am in the movie as the getaway plan for Bowers. <laughs> I just got to say, uh, zombie I, getaway I, driver. I, I'm voting. Uh, I'm not voting at all. No. Bowers. Bowers Hot Setter 2020. That's what I'm doing. Oh that God. Is... They'll split the vote between Pennywise. You realize that, right? Yeah. 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 If you keep this up, we're not going to have any murderous monsters as president. <laughs> Uh, wouldn't that be terrible? That be terrible. All right, Ash, can we please have a reason why we're not going to vote a murderer into office in 2020? For Too the late. love of Christ. Too late. <laughs> uh, um, well, let's see. My favorite... Um, I had two, actually. Okay. So, like, my first one, because I know you and I usually do the badass bitch moment. Yeah. So this one will kind of be, like, my badass bitch moment, because I can't not do this podcast without having okay I'm, I'm going to hold up my hand and i'm pretty sure i know what it is i'm pretty sure it's my badass bitch moment okay and i'll drop my hand the moment ash said she's right all right so it's the scene where bev is in the bathroom for those <laughs> uh watching at home who don't have a uh, live feed into her living room uh she just dropped her hand so they're in agreement with the the the, sh- the bathroom and the grave, yeah, it's so cute. So the bath, um, the whole like scene where um, Ben is yelling "I love you" and she hears him saying the poem and she sees her dad on the other side of the door just "You're my girl, I love you, you're my girl," and she finally has that moment of like, I need to conquer my fucking fear. I need to be like, I need to be with Ben. Ben is the one. And she kicks the she hand kicks in. the you know she kicks the handle in she sa- like goes and saves Ben and they have this moment together and it kind of goes back to you like earlier when you and I were talking in Mama about a woman showing strength for another man like helping a man the the, the idea man that, that it's, helping it's, the man that it's she not loves. seen to be heroic when a woman goes above and beyond when she's in love with a guy yeah and I fucking loved that scene I was just like. Yes. She, she's gonna get that man. She figured out who the fuck wrote that poem and she ain't dying. So yeah, that was my badass bitch moment. One of my favorite scenes. My other favorite scene... Okay, um... My other favorite scene was the scene with, um... When Eddie ki- when Eddie shoves the, um... Mm-hmm. Fence rod into Pennywise's mouth to save Richie yeah. from the Deathlights. That's a real one. 
because I thought that was a good moment. Like, that was just, like, that was a good moment of, like, I am going to save my best friend, whatever it fucking takes. Yeah. I'm going to die doing it because Pennywise stabs me with his giant fucking spider leg, but I died saving my best friend. Uh, my favorite moment, uh, my badass bitch moment will, will also be Bev taking down the door. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I just, I loved the idea of this blood pouring in, in terms of, like, the King verse, uh, Carrie, uh, the Shining, all of this stuff where blood is shown to be so sinful and so kind of, like, blaspheming mm-hmm. on a character, of a character just kicking out a door of the idea of, I'm not being covered in blood, you're covering me. Right. I'm not dirty, you think I'm dirty. Um, this, uh, my favorite scene, uh, was, uh, Bill with Bill and Georgie. In mm, the in the basement, so the the first good part of the film starts off with uh, Bill oh, being younger com- Bill and older Bill, yeah. With Bill just being convinced it's his fault, he runs in danger. He does all this stuff, and when they're in the sewers, he goes back into actually a recreation of the scene from It Chapter One, where Georgie says, "It's all your fault. It's all your fault. It's all your fault," and um, he. Lily, like, yells at his younger self to forgive himself. Mm -hmm. Says, like, it's not your fault. And he physically kills the the younger version of him that thinks everything is his fault. And it was just so... The idea of Bill blaming himself for Georgie... For like a movie and like three quarters. Yeah. Um, it, it was so amazing. Because in that scene, it wasn't that there was Bev there or there was Richie there or there was another. It was a self-actualization of this isn't my fault. And I feel like you don't get that a lot in character development in movies. Where I'm now realizing this thing about me. Yeah. And, uh, I fucking loved it. Um, I guess we'll start again. Um, so we do our scores one to five. Okay. So, uh, Mr. Henry. Why am I first again? Okay, uh, Mr. Shanley. Why are you skipping him? Because he's complaining. Okay. Okay, I'll, I'll go. Here we go. I'll go. Um, four and a half. I loved this film. Um, I had some issues with CGI. I feel like there are some things that I might have wanted to have an issue with. Okay, you made this character gay, you took this out, you did this out. But everything that they took out made sense. Everything they left in made sense. Uh, my only real complaints is CGI. I, I loved this film. It, it made me want to hug you, Ash, <laughs> and never let go of you in a million years. And I fucking adored it. I think I... It wasn't nearly as scary as Chapter One. Yeah. But it had triple the heart. What about you, Ash? 
Um, I think I'm also going to give it a four and a half for the same reason. Um, everything but this weird CG in some spots. Uh, with the some, you know, randomly not so good CG effects in it. Um, but like the story and everything, the character development, hands down, was amazing. What about you, Mr. Shanley? So, um, I enjoyed this immensely, but it does not survive on its own. So, it's harder to give it a clean rating without recognizing the fact that it does not survive by itself. So, I would say, with the caveat that I would give... If you were to sit down and watch part one and part two together, they would have a higher rating. Part yeah. two part two by itself, I would give a three and a half. Okay. Because it is very good. It has its issues. It does not survive on its own. And But uh, the performances are great. Um, the film is very good. It has its foibles, but it's... I, I mean, I... This will be a day one... Uh, here's the best indication... Day one Blu-ray purchase for me. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But three and a half. Alright, and uh, you, Mr. Henry? I'm, I'm torn on a lot of ways. Uh, I, I think my, my first gut inclination is to give it maybe a 3.75. And um, now you know why I'm married to a mash, because he does the 7.5s and the 2.5s. All I know <laughs> is I gave it the lowest rating in the room. I'm the jackass. <laughs> No, you're the normal me. <laughs> I'm the um, jackass. You're and not wrong. I would, and that's based, and that's based on, because I know they're different. <laughs> I know that adaptations are not the same as the source material. But I know, and I always, and I say that too when I defend comic book movies to people who bitch about comic book movies. But. It's one of my favorite books of all time, so it's hard for me when things get kind of like messy, messy, or when. But I was expecting to go into the movie and give it like a two because I was expecting to be let down. Honestly, holy shit! I I honestly went in kind of the same way. Like when we were walking out, I was like, I liked it a lot more than I was expecting. And Mm -hmm. I think, and I think that's good. And here's the thing: I might like it more. When it's not so fresh. Because I have years and years and years of feelings about the source material built up, and it's hard to divorce that. So I feel like if I can kind of watch it a little bit more subjectively, the rating would probably go up. But also, god damn it, some of those CGI shots bothered me so bad. They were bad. Um, bad CGI. But also, 3.75 <laughs> is a very good rating for me. I don't agree, I don't like rating things highly if they don't deserve it. Yeah, I will agree with that. Um, I, I will say like we we all gave it above or at least a three and a half. That's still really good. I'm I'm super happy we got to go and watch this and do this together. Um, this is our last episode for a month. because uh, we we got we got bells to ring and things <laughs> to do. Um, the next time you hear from us, Ash will be a married woman. She'll have a different last name and everything. Yep, I will be the... Ash Shanley. I will be Ash Shanley. 
It that, rolls right off the tongue. That sounds actually. Ashenly. 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 Actually, sounds like a very fancy wine. He does. I, think I will be a it. fancy wine. Well, your last name will mean old hero in ancient Celtic. There you go. My last name means uh, Fox of Kings. So. King of Foxes. King of Foxes. I'm very happy. Either way. Um, we are so excited to be spending the next few weeks. Uh, we will miss doing the podcast, but I am so excited to be focused on Ash's wedding. Um, I will probably be posting a few photos on that day. And uh, please send your love and all those things uh, to Ash. Uh, we will be back in October where we will be doing our Tuesday uh, regular episodes along with Throwback Thursday episodes. Yes, we will be doing Throwback Thursday episodes where we will be reviewing old, old black and white style movies. And one of them's not black and white. Oh, that's true. But Pre-80s, wow. Yeah. Uh, I think our, our our latest is 84. Wow. Yeah, but we'll be uh, reviewing some... Before either you were born. <laughs> yeah, we're babies. Some oldies but goodies for our Throwback Thursdays. So, They're uh, calling you old. Yeah, no, I'm very old. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you. <laughs> um, so check us out ancient. in October for our regular schedule along with our Throwback Thursday. Also, a really exciting thing, um, in October we will be featured on Creepy Pasta. That's right. Uh, we will have a promo going on them, and we are super excited for that. Um, so please, once again, check out their podcast, check out their Patreon. Um, and I guess at the end of this giant, long mess of an episode, <laughs> there's only one thing we can really say. Good. Bad. We're the girls with the mic. Check us out next month. Bye, guys.